Listening to CITR Radio, FM 
102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. The Nordwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. 20 years of Nordwarta Human Serviette. 20 hours of Nordwarta Human Serviette. We started yesterday at 9 p.m. We're going till today at 5 p.m. That's 20 hours straight of interviews. If you have any requests of interviews I've done over the past 20 years, we've got a whole bunch of cassettes right behind me, all archived, ready to go. 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR. We're like 17 and a half hours or so roughly into that, so I'm really bad at math. Or you can phone in, as I mentioned, 604-822-247, 604-UBC-CITR. And you can email nardwar at nardwar.com. And right now, on the line, actually, who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there? I am there. A caller, uh, David Eady. Who are you, please? Pardon? Who are you? Please identify yourself. I'm eating a Kit Kat. I'm in my kitchen, looking out in the backyard, uh, Delaware Avenue, Toronto, Ontario. Um, Real Statics author. You are Dave Bedini of the Real Statics, one of the early guests on the Nardwarta Human Survey Radio. Maybe not the first, but most likely. But so close. But we would have been on in August, right? You were. uh, I I think you. I think it was. I started my show in October 1987, so I think you would have been on like December or something or November 1987. No way, because we came out for the Independent Music Festival in 1987. J. Scott Mark Smith Independent Music Festival in 1987, and you and Hugh took us on the the tour of Vancouver. You and Hugh on the convertible. And we asked if we could smoke, and you said, oh, you can't smoke in the car. And we were like, but it's convertible. But that's not here and there. But that was in the summertime. So but maybe we didn't actually do an interview. Maybe it was actually just, we were just... Well, maybe I've got it all wrong. Maybe I didn't start my show in October of 1987. <laughs> and maybe this anniversary is completely bunk. Maybe we it's have missed it. I don't know. Because last time, remember, you participated, Dave Bedini, on the 11th anniversary of the Nardwarta Human yeah. Serviette Radio Show, because yeah. we forgot 10. So maybe this is like the 21, and we don't even know it. Oh, you stopped counting after five, I think, anyway. But so. thank you very much for joining me here on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. We just had John Sack. Savage, author of Teenage and England's Dreaming on the Nardwarta Human Service Radio Show. And we played a couple of selections by Joe Meek, the freak beat genius there. We actually played the Syndicate's Crawdaddy Simone and Paul Ritchie and the Crying Shames. And we've gone through a whole bunch of other interviews that I've done. Basically, the interviews that I've done for the past little while have been, I started with DOA from October 16th, 1987, Dave. Okay. Then, so that was pretty early. That might have been when you were there. Then we went after deal. We went to the Nardwar show clips. Alice Cooper from June 4th, 1994. Iggy Pop from March 15th, 1996. Lydia Lunch from January 19th, 1996. Sonic Youth from April 17th, 1991. Henry Rollins from August 14th, 1998. Crispin Glover from March 17th, 1995. Harlan Ellison from May 15th, 1992. Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee uh-huh. from March 17th, 2000. Courtney Love from 1993. Beck from June 10th, 1994. Tommy, Tommy Chong from August 20th, 1993. Al, the, Al the Tongue Goldstein from Screw Magazine from December 31st, 1999. William Cooper from February 26th, 1993. He was the guy that said the world was going to end on July 5th, 1998. Robert Anton Wilson, who has actually passed away November 8th, 1996. Bill
Bill Line, who told you how to build a UFO, June 30th, 1995. Bill Casing, to tell you how the moon landing was fake, July 22nd, 2005. The Avengers from San Francisco, punk rock band. Elijah Wood, thrown in there, from May 2nd, 2002. Timothy Leary, from February 4th, 1994. Pierre Burton, from January 23rd, 1992. Guar! From October 27, 2002. Enough. Pierre Burton fronting for one night. What's that night? What's that? Pierre Burton fronting Guar. Pierre Burton in Guar. Yes, they were on the same playlist. And then Enough's Enough as well. And a little allusion to Warrant, too. Then Paul Gallagher, the brother of Liam and Noel. Then we had Gerald Ford, Mikhail Gorbachev, Dan Quayle, Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin, Johnny Legend, Michael Moore, Michael Moore twice, the Degrassi kids from... 1992, Snoop Doggy Dog from January 13th, 2007, John Savage from today, and now Dave Badini from the Rio Statics on the Nardwater Human Serviette Radio Show, introducing the next interview, my interview with Rush from December 4th, 1998. What can you say about Rush and your dealings with Rush, Dave Badini? dealings with... Well, I'll tell you what, here's a good anecdote. I was, uh, went to the baseball game with Getty in the summertime, right? He's got, um, he's a, like a baseball freak, right? And he, he knows more of a baseball um, Let me interrupt you for a moment. I'm sorry, Dave Bedini. I'm sorry. Yeah. Somebody yeah. actually request, I had some requests. Maybe I should have had requests. Somebody actually phoned in. Nico Mira phoned in last night, in the middle of the night, and requested that I have an interview with the Rio Statics. You do. Yeah, we and right you. As I said, tune in today. So nice. we had we had a request for you. Nice. Just thought I'd mention that oh, as well. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, we have so many. Good, I love you know the, the, the you know yeah, people think of Vancouver uh, across the country. They often think of you and, and and you know coming out as a new band in the early days and not really knowing anybody in the scene. Um, I felt like you know when we went to the studio CITR. And we did those long, like, marathon interviews. I really felt like, you know, anchored in the, in the city through, through that booth, you know. And, and in terms of a vessel into, like, Vancouver life, it was great. Like, that was the total starting point. And, and, uh, well, I'm honored that you would say that. And now that you're, like, doing the writer-type thing, because you're not really doing Rio Static anymore, are you, Dave? Well, we broke up in March, so that would be no. But it's, no never means no, so you never know. But when you came on the Nardware Human Soviet Radio Show a couple times ago, remember you needed a book reading that night? And we... We got you a book reading on the Nardwari Human uh, Serviette radio show. Uh, that was beautiful. So here's the, my rush thing, okay? So you went um, to a game with Getty Lee, back to Getty Lee. Game. It, it all comes back to Getty Lee, doesn't oh, it? Oh, well, that's like what Getty Lee said. For the first time in their tour, the, this past tour, there were um, sexy girls dancing to, to, to Rush, right? Never happened before. And he said, you know, they dance like they're dancing on the floor, right? They're not, they're not dancing to the time changes and stuff. But he says they're smart because they know eventually it all comes back to the floor, and, and it does. And, it, you know, no, no one's as smart as a sexy girl. So that's a new thing for Rush. But, but my point is that so they were – so we went to the baseball game, and um, – he was so he said they're in LA in LA working working on the record, and Getty uh, Getty loves baseball, but he's also a huge tennis guy too, and he loves to play him and him and Alex. They put on the whites, they go out there and they slap the ball around. They're big tennis guys and and, and big t- t- fans of professional tennis too. So they're in LA, and I guess Getty said he was hanging around the guy Brian Singer, right? He's a director, right? He's uh, made Superman, I think. Anyways, um, so he said to Brian Singer, "Hey, uh, I need to. I want to play tennis. Do you know anybody who can play?" He said, "I'll make a call." So this guy made a couple of calls. He said, "Yeah, a friend of a friend of mine has a buddy named Phil. He's got this club. He's got court time. So show up tomorrow at ten o'clock in the morning, and 
way. Jenny Lee versus Dr. Phil. When did that happen? That was in the, I guess in the summertime before they made the record, or maybe the spring. But just the mental image of, like, Getty and Dr. Phil going head-to-head. That's beautiful. That is incredible, and that's almost an illusion to what will be happening right after you. Chris Murphy of Sloan oh. is going to be phoning into the Nardwad Human Survey Radio Show. He's, he's coming sh- up after me? Yes. He's, Perfect. It, it kind of has an interesting parallel because he loves the rush, doesn't he? Chris Murphy of Sloan loves the rush, doesn't he? You know, I played goal. I played with Chris. I played hockey with Chris on Sunday, and, um, and I was playing goal, and his passing has really improved. Like, he's, a, he's become an excellent passer. Well, what I thought is interesting about Rush and Sloan is, remember the Rush Sloan song? Chris said that they may have been influenced by that song. And I love Chris's story when you talk about Dr. Phil. That's an amazing tidbit, Dave Bedini. Dr. Phil playing Getty Lee. I mean, that is, that is the ultimate Canadian moment. But could it be taught by this Chris Murphy Canadian moment? Him backstage after the Junos, Daniel Lenoir on drums, Snow rapping, and Chris Murphy on bass. How oh, about that's that? ugly stuff. That's ugly. Snow, wow. Daniel Lenoir, and Chris Murphy. And apparently Daniel Lenoir was a real stickler. It was like a jam. People would come in to jam and sing. If people weren't good, Daniel Lenoir would just stop drumming. And, and like people would just look at him and then he'd just like walk away. So Chris Murphy is coming up. But Vetus Gerolitis is another person that I think I mentioned to yeah, Getty Lee. Because right, Getty right. Lee did know Vetus Gerolitis, didn't yeah, he? totally. And in this interview coming up, I try to get Getty Lee to say that Rush were punk, but he doesn't want to go along with it too much, does he? Because you had told me about Rush playing with the New York Dolls, or oh, Rush yeah. playing with... Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, okay. Rush, Rush played with the New York Dolls, and Rush even played with Ramones, too? See, I don't know. I think what the, the Toronto Rock and Roll lore is this. I think Rush opened for the New York Dolls at the New, York, New Yorker Theater on a Thursday, and the Ramones played... The next night, 1976, The New Yorker in uh, on Young Street in Toronto. That's, you know, that's as close as I can come to exact uh, legend of that uh, of that week in Toronto rock and roll history. But it's all right there. No, but Getty said that you know, Rush have been playing for so long that you know, in the 70s, early 70s and late 60s, they would play in bars that would have men's entrances and ladies and escorts entrances. So they would walk in with like their greasy long hair and their platform shoes and people would call them, you know, call them names and uh, they, would get, they would get the crap beat out of them because they looked like ladies and, ladies and escorts. And, um, but so it just shows you how way, 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 way far back those guys go in terms of like a musical entity. Because in a lot of cases you think of, you know, Fly By Night, Feral of the Kings and that, that's when they were, you know, became a band, but they'd been a but how about on the flip side, Dave Bedini? When I interviewed Joan Jett from The Runaways and yes. the Joan Jett experience, she said that Rush were mean to the Runaways. The Runaways open up for Rush, and Rush were mean really? to the Runaways. So maybe Rush were getting bad looks, but Rush were also given bad looks. What do you think about Rush versus the Runaways? Could you Rush see something like that the happen? Runaways. Well, that, I mean, I think, you know, the Runaways should have fired their agent immediately after that, because why would they even be plus such a ridiculous... Because that goes back to the thing that Rush being surprised that they were dancing women to their, at their tour. Like, there was a total guy band in terms of audience. So throwing the Runaways to a crowd like that, I mean, I think it, was, it would have been in the States, that tour, because that never happened up in Toronto. And if it hadn't happened in Canada, it might have been kind of cool, because I know there are a lot of Runaways fans up here and stuff, but I don't know. That could be just road crew gossip, too. And 
I, don't, I can't I can't speak about that. I don't know. Uh, with our, our experiences with you know Neil and and Getty, we've always just been treated like so amazingly well by those guys, and so uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. How many relatives? Are there in the Rush clan? Because there's always like a cousin or a brother of Getty Lee and bands popping up here and there. And Getty's playing on a lot of records. What has Getty been doing on the indie front lately? He's been playing on tons of records, jamming with lots of people. Have his sons, daughters, cousins been involved? There's a lot of Rush family getting around Toronto these days. It seems. Well, I don't. I know. I know Rush's brother, Alan Weinrib, is a big Toronto sports, um, uh, like talk sports producer guy. Um, but in terms of his kids, I don't think I don't think there's there's much music there. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, you know what? Uh, you know what? I'm I'm surprised you say that because I, that, that's not anything that would have leapt to my mind immediately. Do you, are you talking about anything specific or? I think it was the one of the drummers of Danko Jones was in a band with somebody indirectly. Okay, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Rob. Okay, here's the story. Rob Higgins. Uh, played bass in Change of Heart for many years, and he is Getty's nephew. And Rob is also like Rob is uh, Rob also works for Alan, who uh, Rob is actually a, like a uh, hockey stat rumor gossip genius. He's on Satellite Radio XFM out here all the time. But he was yeah he, he was a bass player for Change of Heart for a, a really good version of Change of Heart in the mid 1990s and Rob Higgins turned me on to Great Bullicious Bubblegum got me addicted to Great Bullicious Bubblegum for so many years and then they just and then they discontinued it and uh, but Rob's yeah that's right that's the connection and Rob's a great guy and a great bass player but I don't know musically they're doing some stuff but I don't know I don't know what band uh, now that, that he's in but and that we, was Getty's that's a relationship there. and we have a caller caller are you there hey hello go ahead to Dave Bedini from the Real Statics Hi, Dave Bedini. How's it's William Jans in Vancouver. Who is it? William Jans. All right, William Jans. How's it going? Very well, thank Climb you. Climb any um, mountains lately? Pardon me? Climb any mountains lately? <laughs> William, maybe you'd like to plug your show tonight. Well, funny enough, sure. Yeah, actually, I just climbed Kilimanjaro about a month ago, but wow. I'm doing the show about the trip up uh, in Nepal tonight at the Rio Theater in Vancouver. Beautiful. So if you're not going to the free all-ages gig tonight at the Sub Ballroom featuring The Pack, The Transmitters, Kid Cordine, and some other bands hosted by me, Nardwarta Human Serviette, at the Sub Ballroom free... It's a reward, Dave and William, for people listening to the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show for 20 years. Both of you, Dave, you can't go to gig here in Toronto. William, you're here in Vancouver, so I guess you don't get rewarded <laughs> at all. But I'd like to thank you, William, for all your help and all the questions you've helped me generate. And the same thing you, Dave Bedini, with this rush in interview coming up you help me with a lot of the questions that are oh, out there well, you know anytime today i'll talk about russia i talk about russia my hair was on fire nardware you know about that so anytime any other questions william jans at all regarding 20 yeah, years I, at a nardware human Stewart radio show regarding well, dave I, bedini or regarding rush um yeah i actually had a question regarding both dave bedini and rush um uh -huh. The, I, I remembered, if, if you're playing the Rush interview that I've heard, I remembered it, it seemed as if Getty Lee was one of those people who didn't know about you, didn't see you coming, and might have been taken aback a bit. And I remembered saying to you afterwards that, oh, you know, do you get the chance to let them know? And you say, no, I'd rather they don't know and just let it unfold as it does. If you get hung up on like Alice Cooper did, or if, if Getty is kind of going, what is this? And I'm curious if Dave, when you first were interviewed by Nardwar, if you knew what was coming, or if you... We're well, taking to be honest, you know, William, we were, you know, going across that uh, Canada in 87 for the first time, you know, like, we didn't do any press, like, we didn't do, we had no, no media, it wasn't even thought about, it was just about making sure 
sure we had, you know, enough fuel in the tank to get from town to town. And, you know, like, uh, it was really, it was very amazing. So coming out in 87, and then, hey, you got an interview at CITR. Oh, great, you know, calls your radio. Great, so we'll go away. And so it, it was just, it was, uh, not only was it great because we actually had a little press, but it was great because, like I said, it was like a two-hour interview, and Nardwar let us, like, pick records from the record library that we played, and we got to... It was it was an awesome like you know it was a great time so even if it, it, it might have come out of left field but I also think Nardwar too like we would have shared like as a traveling rock and roll band shared totally the same sensibility you know as, in terms of being you know just music fans and you know excited to be part of you know Canadian rock and roll at that point in the development of Canadian rock and roll history you know when stuff was starting and there was the energy and excitement you know and that sort of thing so. Plus, I'll interview anybody. Like, I'll interview anybody. <laughs> yeah. And nowadays, it's hard to interview people, but I still will interview anybody. That's we'll how it be, works. And, and we'll, again, we'll be interviewed by anybody. It doesn't matter. It's just, you know, fun to kind of, you know, talk about stuff. But that's I mean, how did he know your, your stuff inside out to ask you questions? That no, it wasn't like that. I don't think so. It was the early that. days of Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show, where, there, where it was the very early days of Nardwar, the <laughs> Human Serviette radio show. Well, actually, we're actually the real statics are pretty much on autopilot. You just turn on the mic and they go. You know, yeah, for sure. Like here we are, twenty years later, still talking about that first interview. Still talking still about talking. Rush. Still talking. It's still working out. Talking's and, great. No, no, talking's great. But thank you very much, William Jans, for phoning in. And one more time, plug your show tonight. Uh, top of the world tonight at the Rio Theater Broadway Commercial. You can check wrjphoto.com for tickets and info, and next week's the Burma Bound one. And one of these days, Dave, you got to see one of these. If I know, I do, I know. And me too, I'll see it one of these days. <laughs> yeah, you too, Nard. You've had m- way more chances. Well, oh, thank, yeah. thank Is you. Is it my breath? Is it my breath? No. <laughs> it's mine, no. That's what that's <laughs> it. Anyway, well done. Congrats, Nardware. Uh, Dave, you're doing great stuff, as always. All right, man. Well, thanks so much, William Jans. Keep on rocking in the free world, and doot doot doo doo and you're still listening Bye. to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable on TV, Vancouver, Columbia, Canada, the Nardwarder Human Serviette Radio Show, 20-year, 20 20-hour 20 interview marathon. We're going straight, phone in your request from 9 p.m. yesterday to 5 p.m. today. What other radio station in the world would let anybody do this? Dave Bedini at Aureo Statics. This Only the most insane station. And CITR. Too, I mean, that's, yeah, it's so great. 20, so we'd like to thank all the people that let me preempt their shows for 20 hours straight here on CITR Radio. So we're coming up with this interview with Rush from December 4th, 1998. And thank you for all the tidbits you've given me over the years. I really appreciate it. Anything else you want to say about Rush or what you're doing right now, Dave? Uh, whatever. I have a new book coming out and I, I want to come to Vancouver, so maybe I'll call you and we can set up another reading or something because I don't know if, I, I don't know if there's plans for me to come out there. Uh, I, yeah, we had a big party last well, night. Well, why don't we do it now? Why don't you ask for help now rather than when you come on the That's show? Sure. Well, people have my email, dbedini at, uh, dbedini at drog.com. Dave's and, Records um, of Guelph. Why don't you say that again? dbedini. dbedini at drog.com is my email. And you're looking for a place to do a reading in yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, for sure. A place to do a reading in Vancouver. And I, I actually know I have a place in Victoria that I can go to. So if something happens in Vancouver, um, I'll come out there for around the world in 57 and a half. Because you need the offer, because last time it fell through at the last minute. And the Nardwarda yeah, Human... No, and then the people at um, and the, the bookstore, Humans, right, the bookstore, they saved it. It was yeah, great. The Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show listeners, oh, li- or listener, rallied around. So that we, was beautiful. Um, and, and what's the name of the book coming out, Dave Bedini? It's called Around the World in 57 and a Half Gigs. 
Remember, Nagra, I told you that when I was in Russia, I found out that Russian kids in the 1950s had three favorite dances. The Atomic, I can't remember the second, and the Canadian. And they were outlawed. If you saw a Russian rock and roll kid doing the Canadian, they were put in prison. And I asked you if you'd ever heard of the Canadian or what even that dance was. And you, I think you might have done some research and you couldn't find the answer either. But at one point in the history of like the Soviet Union, the most uh, like forgotten thing that you could do as a kid was dance the Canadian at, at, at a dance. So we've got to get to the bottom of that one of these days and find out where, what it was, how it got there, and how it affected Russian rock and roll culture. Because people still talk about it. Well, thanks very much, Dave Bedini from Rheostatics, phoning into the Nardwater Human Serviette radio show. Why don't you do a little introduction here for... Well, actually, here we go. Well, thanks so much, Dave Bedini of Rheostatics. <laughs> do 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 Okay, now, if you could introduce my interview, Dave Padini, with Rush from December 4th, 1998. From December 4th, 1998, ladies and gentlemen, this is the legendary Nardweather Human Serviette, or the Herman Serviette, which is good, too, um, talking to uh, uh, my favorite uh, rock and roll band of all time. Uh, From Willowdale, Ontario, Giddy, Alex, and Neil. Ladies and gentlemen, Rush. Who are you? Uh, I beg your pardon? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? I am Nardwarta Human Serviette, and you are? You're the Human Serviette? Nardwarta Human Serviette. Well, that's rather gross. What does that mean? Just like, you know, napkin, you know, wiping things up with it. But you are, most importantly, you are? I am a guy. You are Getty Lee. Yes. Getty, you are God. I must say that. You are God. You are Getty Lee. You are God. Well, that's an unusual way to describe me. Getty, at one time, did Rush once open for the New York Dolls at the old New Yorker Theater in Toronto? Uh, we opened for the New York Dolls at the Victory Burlesque Theater in Toronto. So how glam were you back then? How glam? Yeah, how glam were you back I then? I think we were going through a transition of being slightly glam in a, in a bar band sense, because at, at that stage we were still pretty much a bar band. And... Uh, you know, transitioning from that to kind of a more rock band. Because you looked very effeminate at that time. I have this wall towel of you guys where you're all wearing, like, silk kimonos. Yeah, we used to. We used to wear silks and satins and ridiculous platform shoes and sequin tops and things like that. Was there any particular shampoo that you used at all, Getty? Well, that's a rather dumb question. Well, just curious, you know, to bring out that special rush look in the early days. Yeah, well... I can see this interview is going into a very boring direction for me. Well, Getty, first off, you started your own label, Anthem, because no one else would get behind Rush. You guys are like the prototype for the original Canadian DIY punk band. We were... I beg your pardon? Like, you guys started Anthem, your label, because no one else would get behind you guys. You're like the original Canadian DIY band, do-it-yourself band. Yes, well, I, I guess so. No, I also heard, Getty, that you like baseball. Yes. Mike Piazza of the Mets likes Slayer. Do you hang around any baseball players at all? Well, I have some friends that are baseball players. Did you ever hang around Dave Winfield at all? Uh, No, I met him one time. What did you think when he killed that pigeon a few years ago, you being a big Blue Jays fan, I imagine? (laughs) Well, I think it was kind of an unusual circumstance. So, Getty, didn't you hang around Vetus Gerolitis a little while back? Yeah, he was a friend of mine for a while. 
And Vetus Gerolitis hung around John McEnroe, who, who hung around the Dead Boys. Did you ever see the Dead Boys at all in the early days of Rush? No. Didn't the Ramones open for Rush at one time? No. Rush, little-known pretenders to punk rock's raunchy throne, stormed on stage at the Summit Arena in Houston and received an ear-splitting roar usually reserved for such legendary hard rock bands as Led Zeppelin and Grand Funk Railroad. McLean's Magazine, 1977. Rush, little-known pretenders to punk rock's raunchy throne. That's pretty odd. That was McLean's Magazine. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess to McLean's Magazine, we must have seemed like punk, which doesn't say much for what McLean's Magazine uh, knows about music. Getty, how come you guys didn't ever do a full-on punk album? A lot of my friends were wondering that, because that would have been wicked, a Rush punk album. That's because we weren't a punk band. But you had some punk-associated type things with you. For instance, like, didn't Gerald Cassell from Devo do some of your videos? Yeah, but he wasn't a punk. And you wore a Devo pin as well. Yeah, but they weren't punk. But you had that kind of feel, though. Like, you wore skinny ties, and you seemed to be kind of inspired by New Wave. Like, were you into Gary Newman at all? No. What about Digital Man and Spirit of the Radio having reggae parts? There's, would you say there was any punk feel there at all? Like, why didn't you do a punk? I don't know why you associate reggae ska with punk. Well, it was the whole it's New Wave. It's a completely different genre of music. Well, a lot of the punk bands use that. Like, you know, The Clash did reggae. Even DOA from Vancouver broke into some reggae as well. And right. I just kind of saw that police influence in those songs at all. Yeah, well, the police were a pop band, not a punk band. So do you take offense to the word punk at all then, Gideon? No, I don't take offense to it at all. There were some punk bands that I liked, but I don't really see how you associate it with our music. Well, I just seen that you guys have that punk feel, because you had the Melvins open for you guys. Do you think the Melvins were the best band to ever open for Rush at all, Getty? Uh, no. I think Melvins were a pretty interesting band. Unfortunately, they, they didn't really fare very well in front of our audience. What happened? Well, they weren't very well thought of. How about the other bands you've had? Like, you had that band Rabbit. Remember them? W-R-A-B-B-I-T? I can barely remember them. Or Chalk Circle. Didn't the Melvins do as well as Chalk Circle? No, actually, Chalk Circle did better. Now, Getty, what are you guys listening to right now, besides your live album, Different Stages, that's just right out right now? What are you listening to right now? Uh, I'm listening to Bjork a lot. I'm listening to uh, some bass and drums collections from Ninja Tunes. Are you a big Sloan fan at all? Because didn't you have, like, twice removed from the Canadian band Sloan in your car stereo a little while back? Didn't I have what? Sloan. The yeah. band Sloan. Are you a big Sloan fan at all, Getty Lee? Uh, not particularly. I've heard a few of their pieces. Some of the stuff is interesting to me. Some of it's not. Because they have that song, She Says What She Means, that has a very, very similar bass line to Spirit of the Radio. It's their new song, She Says What She Means. I was just curious if you had heard that at all. No, I haven't. Have you heard that Mixmaster Mike from the Beastie Boys used Tom Sawyer as the show opener to the Beastie Boys' Canadian dates? Yeah, I heard that. And what did you feel about that? Well, that was kind of cool. Getty, do you feel guilty at all about the thousands of teenage boys who ended up with blisters on their thumbs trying to be a cool rock bassist like yourself? <laughs> yeah, I feel real guilty about it. Have you ever talked to Lemmy from Motorhead about basses? He has like a customized Rickenbacker bass, and yours is stock. Well, it's been many years since I've talked to Lemmy, and I remember at the time we didn't talk much about basses. What did you talk about, Getty Lee? Oh, other stuff. Getty, speaking of talking, Ben Mink has said that you speak fluent Yiddish? Uh-huh. How many other rock stars can do that? How many other rock stars can speak fluent Yiddish like Getty Lee of Rush? <laughs> well, aside from Ben Mink, I don't know too many others. 
because your voice really is truly amazing. However, Getty, Rolling Stone Record Guide seems to think you have, quote, a voice like Donald Duck. What the hell is their problem? I don't know. You have to ask them. And speaking of your voice, Getty, have you heard the pavement song Stereo off their Bright in the Corners album that, that has that lyrics, you know, what about the voice of Getty Lee? How did it get so high? I wonder if he speaks like an ordinary guy. I know him, and he does. Right. I've heard about it. I haven't heard it myself. What do you do when you hear a song like that? Do you feel, like, proud that you've installed these young punkers? Again, going back to the punk illusion there, Getty, with these feel of rush. What do you feel about that when you hear a song like that? I think it's amusing. I think in a weird way it's complimentary. And Getty Lee of Rush, have you seen the book Mondo Canuck at All by Jeff Pavir and Greg Diamond? Uh, no, I haven't. Because in it there, they quote from Cream Magazine in 1976, a Rick Johnson, who writes, The first thing you notice about Rush is that they're, they're not as gross-looking as Bachman-Turner Overdrive, and that they have a somewhat lower thud weight than most other Canadian bands. True enough, Canuck rockers do seem to have some sort of uglier-than-thou competition among themselves, along with a tendency to pounce on unsuspecting ears like a carnivorous dump truck. What is the deal on Cream Magazine... Why did Americans think Canuck rockers are so ugly? Uh, I have no idea. I guess when you're uh, uh, in, if you have to take that time period in consideration, and when you think of the bands that were successful from Canada uh, around that period, you're talking about the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive, and that's pretty much it. So it doesn't really paint a very pretty picture, does it? No, but I was curious. How about female fans? Did you have many female fans at all, Getty Lee? Now? Back then. Back then, very few. Yeah, because they sing you're ugly. Maybe that's what they were equating it with. But that's not true because what's wild about you guys is I would say your brand of rock, Russia's rock, is kind of geek rock in a way. And it also is thug rock because you have the geek rock. A lot of the kids are into Dungeons and Dragons were into you guys. But also the thugs in the school, you know, the big tough guys were into that. Would you say, would you agree with that at all, Getty Lee? Well, I think our audience was mostly musicians. Whether you want to call them geeks or not is up to you. But, uh... There were a lot of musicians in the crowd, and uh, we also seemed to appeal to people that were uh, a little over-inebriated. Getty, the Canadian content on the Rush resume is amazing. I mean, you are the man. I was saying, you are God. You are Getty Lee. You sang Take Off A to the Great White North. That's great to have that on your resume. Well, it's amusing. It's excellent. And you also had Count Floyd. Count Floyd from SCTV introduced a tune to Red Barchetta as one of your concerts. Didn't that happen? He had, like, Count Floyd introducing one of your songs? Yeah, the song was uh, uh, The Weapon, I believe. On a big video screen. Yeah, he did a int- couple of intros for us. Getty Lee of Rush, what was it like being present for the recording of the greatest Canadian record of all time? What was that? Tears Are Not Enough! <laughs> Well, uh, it was interesting. It was uh, fairly comical to watch all these people being uh, one by one brought to the mic and ordered around by David Foster. And uh, At the same time, it was a lot of fun to meet people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, and who are artists I've had a great respect for for many years. But uh, I would say it was a very odd pairing of human beings. Well, just how annoying was David Blow Dry Foster in the studio that fateful day in March 1985, Getty Lee? Well, I remember him asking Joni Mitchell to sing her line over and over again, and to everyone standing around, uh, her, every performance was, was wonderful, and yet he insisted on making her uh, sing it over and over again to, 
to most people's amazement. And then when Neil Young came in, he sang it once, and uh, David Foster asked him to sing it again because it was a little out of tune, and uh, Neil replied to him that that's his style and he's not going to do it again, to which uh, a great swelling of pride uh, welled up in uh, all the onlookers. Your line, and you know that we'll be there, that's awesome. Did you have any trouble getting that off at all? No, it was one take. Did you get to talk to Canada's country gentleman, Tommy Hunter, at all at that? No, no, I didn't. And, Getty Lee of Rush, Terry Brown has produced, like, all your albums, like, except the first one, and he worked on, like, Wild Thing by the Trogs and Substitute by the Who. Oh, wait, wait, he hasn't produced all our albums. Well, like, he, hasn't, he hasn't worked with us since uh, 1981. Oh, jeez. Well, your brand new album, who produced that? Peter Collins. But I was shattered to learn, though, from Terry Brown. Shattered to learn when he revealed that Tom Sawyer, Getty Lee, is comprised of three different drum takes. Three different drum takes for Tom Sawyer? Say it isn't so, Getty. I don't remember that, to be honest. So, but in those days, you were, you were recording everything uh, analog. And uh, you were also playing as a band. So when you recorded, it wasn't just drums playing by themselves. It was bass, drums, guitar playing a bed track together. So the only technology available was to cut between different takes, which was quite normal in those days. So does that mean there's edits in Tom Sawyer, Getty Lee? There very well could be. Oh, no! Well, Terry Brown produced you guys, Getty Lee. Who have been some of the other behind-the-scene characters in the Rush empire? Like, who have been your roadies? Are there any good Rush roadie stories at all? Well, you know, it's 25 years of stories. It's hard to pull one up on command. But is there any truth to the rumor of Rush roadies accepting Anne Ryan books as bribes to get backstage to meet you guys? I don't think so. And Getty, do you really believe all that Anne Rand shit? I mean, come on, do you really believe all that, or is that Neil's thing? Um, Anne Rand was someone who was very influential on Neil and myself, uh, I would say, almost 20 years ago. And, uh, yes, I think she had a lot to uh, offer in terms of her theories on her artistic manifesto and, and her belief in individualism. So I, at some point in my life, she was a formative influence, but one of many, I would say. Who would you say your favorite character in The Fountainhead is, Getty Lee? My favorite character in The Fountainhead? Which one do you think, which character parallels your life the best, you think, in The Fountainhead? None of them. And Getty Lee, Neil wrote all those Anne Randy lyrics. Like, he, you know, wrote all those Anne Randy lyrics. He's pretty smart. Like, I saw him interviewing Prime Minister Jean Chrétien on Much Music a while back. Neil Peart versus Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, I did. That's amazing. Neil Peart versus Jean Chrétien. And he had Chrétien totally on the hot seat. Well, he's a smart guy. What can I tell you? Did Maggie Trudeau come to any Rush gigs at all, Getty Lee? Have you ever approached Keith Richards when he was wasted? No. Did you get to meet Keith Richards or any of the Beatles at all? Uh, I met Ron Wood and Keith Richards once very briefly at a video shoot. In Toronto? Yeah. Was it for a Rush video? No, it was a Rolling Stone shoot. And Getty Lee, are you guys still into the drugs? Like in high school, Rush were the band to smoke dope to. And songs like Passage to Bangkok only made us want to get higher and higher. Yeah, well, I don't smoke dope. Um, Getty, what to you is real prog rock? You know, ELP, Yes, Amandua, Can, Gentle Giant. What to you is real prog rock? Well, prog rock, I'm afraid, is a dying or a outdated form of music. Nobody's really carrying the tradition on, but in its day, Vandergraaff Generator and uh, 
uh, at times Genesis and uh, uh, you know yes those bands were interesting to me what got you into prog rock were you into the Toronto 60s scene at all did you ever see the Ugly Ducklings or the Poppers or the Mandela I saw all those bands yeah so how does one get from Kensington Market were you in any early bands? Did you ever share any bills with those in the early days of your first bands? No, I was still too young. So how exactly, Getty, does one get into prog rock? You know, to go from the ugly ducklings to prog rock. What made you go prog? What made you get interested in that type of music? I think it's musicians' music. I think as you uh, form... My tastes were formed out of bands like The Cream and The Who uh, and those kind of rock bands. And as you get better as a player... Uh, those bands came along around that time, and that appeals to people that like to play. So, uh, you know, it's the the only rock alternative that's viable that's not jazz, if you want to play something more complex. Was there ever a Triumph versus Rush rivalry at all? Because Triumph were kind of like a bad Rush. Was there ever a Triumph versus Rush rivalry? <laughs> not, not in my mind. Because they put on a good light show, but they were no Max Webster, were they? I mean, Max Webster, that was the hit. That was it, eh? That was a great band. Were Max Webster kind of like a baby rush? No, they were completely uh, their own personality, very different from us. You actually sang a duet with Kim Mitchell on one of the Max Webster records, right? Yeah, the whole band, both bands played together on one song. Getty Lee of Rush, what's the biggest thing you've ever had chucked at you on stage in Rush? A shoe. That was the biggest thing? Yeah. There's never, like, nobody's ever grabbed, like, a microwave or anything else bizarre or suddenly ended up, like, no, at your feet? No, 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 no missiles, no, uh, you know, no fridges, just a shoe. And believe me, when a shoe hits you in the head, it feels pretty darn big. And Getty Lee, if you were a dog, what breed would you be? Uh, next question. And then you also like to add to the people out there at all, Getty Lee. Mm, no, thank you. Why should people care about Rush? I haven't got the foggiest idea. Well, thanks for your time, Getty. Keep on rocking in a free world and do-do-do-do-do. Okay. Getty Lee, do-do-do-do-do. Goodbye. No, Getty Lee, do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> See ya. No, Getty, please, do-do-do-do-do. See ya. Please, Getty, do-do-do-do-do. Getty Lee of Rush? Getty Lee of Rush? Do-do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do-do.
and you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, 20-year, 20-hour marathon, 2007 all the way back to 1987. That's October 1987 to October 2007, 20 years of me, Nardwardi Human Serviette. If you have any requests of interviews, you may remember me playing or doing over the past 20 years, 604-822-2487. Interviews you want to hear in upcoming weeks too, 604-822-2487. Don't worry, we won't be 20 hours every Thursday, 9 p.m. to Friday, 5 p.m. for the next couple weeks. Probably won't do it till 30 years. Every 30 years we do something like this. Well, maybe not every 30 years. Well, maybe we'll, do that. well actually, well, anyways, you're listening to CITR Radio and you can also email in to nardwar at nardwar.com. That's N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R at nardwar.com. Email in your requests, etc. And that was an interview with Rush from December the 4th, 19. 19- 1998, and that was introduced by Dave Bedini. And joining us right now on the phone right now is somebody that needs no introduction to Rush. Who are you? Nardwar, it's Chris Murphy from the Rock Combo Sloan. Thank you for having me on your show. How the hell are you, Chris? I'm great. Happy anniversary, Nardwar. Well, thank you so much for being on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, because you've been on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show almost from the beginning. Well, you didn't really rear your head until 91. I say 91. You say 1992, which actually would have been five years. No, that would have been... F- I didn't meet you till five years. I met David Dini five years. But it seems... A lot longer than that. Seems like you were there from '87, Chris Murphy. Well, I, how much? I mean, did you do any? What were the biggest names you did between '87 and say '92? Well, ex-president of United States of America, Gerald R. Ford. Wow. Gilligan, Sonic Youth, <laughs> Courtney Love, the Degrassi wow. kids. So you 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 started you started hard. Like you you had a whole bunch of stuff early, like in your first quarter. Well, believe it or not, Randy Awada from Mint Records believes... I love Randy. ...believes that my best interview was the first interview we played on this whole broadcast from October 16th, 1987. He said, I never topped that. That was pretty much the first interview I ever did. That was with Dave Gregg of DOA, October 16th, 1987. But I didn't meet you till 1992 when Sloan came on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Like, who are you, Chris? Maybe you could explain a bit about Sloan. How did you end up on a Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show? And that goes back to... The the metal guy. No, that comes on a bit later, doesn't it? Like, how did we meet Chris Murphy at Rock and Roll Band Sloan? Is it really? Uh, well, I, have, I have so many things I want to tell you. I, I, like, about, I want to ask you more questions. I have, I have a Randy Uwata story, but I'll skip all that, I guess. And if, if things, if we slow down, you can hit me up for those later. But uh, we were we we were coming through. We played at the. Uh, in, I'm saying it's May 1992. Now you can say it's 91, but I'm sure it's 92 um, because I don't think we ever left uh, Halifax before that. But it was like basically our third show outside of Halifax with Sloan, and um, and uh, we were playing at Music West, 1992, and then we went up to CITR to do an interview with you. The whole band came, um, uh, but we've since outlawed whole band interviews because they're terrible. Um, but all four of us were sitting there, and what what ended up being called the Metal Guy. This is Todd Sullivan who uh, went on to sign, he, he signed us to Geffen right after uh, we met you, uh, but we were out there, and you were, um, 
you were interviewing us in the studio and you were taking calls and then you started taking calls from people who were saying Sloan sucked or Sloan was gay or whatever. And then, uh, and then I didn't invite those calls. They just yes, came. Yes, you did. No, no, yes, I invited you the calls. You set that up. You no, set it up. No, it wasn't pre-planted calls, but if anybody would like to call out 604-822-604 UBCC. We've always had an open policy on an Ardwater Human Serviette radio show regarding callers, and I did not plant that caller, but that caller was quite abusive towards you, wasn't he? Well, anyway, there were a few abusive, and then later, then there was a, a caller who came, who called, and I think they were from San Francisco, I'm not sure, but then they started... Um, I should go back and listen to your uh, to that interview. I and it is, on, it is online at nardwar.com. You can go on the pull down there to Sloan and you can actually hear the interview. It was Lev from the band Wig Torture, and Lev had a relationship to the punk band East Van Halen. Back to you, Chris Murphy. Well, just you started doing an interview well, actually, with Actually, Chris, Chris, we have a caller. Hello, caller. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Go ahead to Chris Murphy of Sloan. Uh, I was just wondering, can you play the Gary Newman interview? <laughs> oh, that's interesting that, caller, you would mention that. Because yes. do you remember when the Gary Newman interview happened? I remember listening to it on your 10-year anniversary. My 11-year anniversary. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's a fellow guest, because Chris Murphy, who's on right now, was on the 11-year anniversary as well. What's weird about that Gary Newman interview was it wasn't recorded properly. It was recorded, like, at the wrong speed, so I'm not actually able to actually play that back. I'm going to have to rescue it through the computer caller. But thank you for remembering my 11-year anniversary because, you know, I forgot about the 10-year anniversary. How are the anniversaries comparing now that you've sat through both of them there, caller? Uh, well, I haven't had a chance to listen to too much of your 20-year, um, but I've got all the tapes from your 11-year and because I wasn't around, so I was flipping tapes and uh, playing the back, but... Uh, it's great what I'm hearing. Just keep it up. Well, thanks very much, caller, and doot doot a loot doo. Doot doot. Wow. That's, doot, doot. That, that's amazing. Okay, back to you, Chris. You were just saying about you came at the CITR? <laughs> yeah, we came out there, and we came with uh, Todd Sullivan, uh, who worked uh, as a sort of underling for uh, Tom Zutat. Hey, Chris, signed... we have another caller. I'm just <laughs> Caller, are you there? <laughs> I'm here, call... I'm here, Nardwar. Go ahead to Chris Murphy of Sloan. Chris Murphy of Sloan, I was wondering uh, if you've ever done Nardwar's impression in front of Nardwar, and if would you do it now? Uh, oh, I, I, I can do a sort of a Nardwar impression, but it, it involves kind of, I, I also have, a, have an outfit that I put on when I'm pretending to be him, but I can do a bit of him right now. Who is calling? Uh, it's Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, so, so how about I pretend that I'm Nardwar interviewing you? All right, well, how about... What does Nardwar think of your impression? Has he ever heard it before? Oh, I've heard it before. And what's really amazing, Chris, is this kind of goes back to your story. When you first came into the Nardwar Human Serviette radio show, with the metal guy, things didn't go as planned. But do the impression, and then you continue on to the story. Okay, uh, so I'm um, saying... Um, so, Jill, this is uh, Nardwar, um, uh, the Human Serviette of Vancouver, Canada. I was just wondering if you knew that uh, the subhumans, the British subhumans, uh, if, they, if they existed before the Canadian subhumans, and, and if so, uh, what were the dates on that? Because I, I thought I saw a subhuman show in 1984 at uh, Bingo Hall, and, um, and um, Joey Shithead, I don't know, like, <laughs> and uh, that kind of thing. That's A+. Plus. That's awesome. Well, thank Thanks. you very much, Joe, and do 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 
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, Columbia Caller, Vancouver, Vancouver, British Columbia Caller. That's basically what it is. Because see, we we I always take the callers. Now, do you believe me that when you phoned when you were on the show that time in 1991, yes. that when the callers came, I'm always off by just a tiny bit, aren't I? I'm kind of right, <laughs> but. I'll, you're always you're always ninety percent right. And you're it, good for about ninety percent. And I, I thought Joe sounded a lot like John Collins, but that doesn't doesn't matter. That's virtually impossible because he's on tour now with the new pornographers. Remember? Yeah, but you're a, you're a guy of technology. I'm in Toronto. You can contact these people. No, 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 no. You know, no. one of my fav- one of my favorite stories for- with you. Are you finished grilling me about this metal guy? Do you want me to finish well, well, this, the story? This can, this can we just finish it? What ha- you came into? We haven't really. What happened? You came onto my show in 1992. Came onto the show, and Todd Sullivan, who worked for Tom Zutat, who signed uh, Guns Guns and Roses to uh, to Geffen, and he signed uh, Motley Crude in him. He was like kind of a metal guy. You've come to call him the metal guy. He signed our band. And uh, right after that, but but he so we were trying to ingratiate ourselves to him, and you were making fools of us on the radio, and and he was really rooting for us, and uh, and I was so embarrassed. I thought you were going to ruin our chances of being signed to Geffen because it was a very exciting time, and you threatened to blow it, and uh, and luckily you didn't. And then I was mad at you, but then I also I knew that you had defeated us, and it wasn't until a couple of years later, in 1995, that that we met again, you and I, and, and then we became good friends. And then you ended up playing bass in the Evaporators for a couple tunes and hosting my first Much Music special. So what started really bad turned out pretty interesting in the end there. That's true. And a couple. I just want to say a couple more facts. One fact is that uh, I was doing that Nard Wars or whatever, that special, Nard War special, uh, doing all those throws um, on the very day that the, uh, the power went out on the East Coast. And so nobody had power except for we had a, a battery pack in the camera. So I, I, was, I kept going. But all I saw were people terrified and running home as if there had been some kind of terrorist attack. And I was trying to be really fun. Because you and, stuck it out. Because for years and years I'd bugged you to get on much music. And you didn't want me to lose my big chance. Thank you, Chris, for revealing that. <laughs> because if you had gone home, nothing would have happened. Uh, that's not necessarily true. But that was, uh, very, but, uh, that was, that was very nice. Caller, are you there? Yes, hi, Ooh. Nardwar. Go ahead to Chris Murphy of the band Sloan as part of the Nardwar 20-hour, 20-year anniversary special. Hello, Sloan. How are you? Get hi, a- who's this? Hi, this is Dirk. Go ahead. Hey, um, Sloan, I, my sister had a bunch of your records. She loved them, and uh, she played them super loud, and that's how I, I got into you guys. Um, and I still have some of your CDs. Uh, Nardward, you know what? I I wanted to ask you because you totally blew my mind at work today when you mentioned the name uh, John Berardino. Um, I just was wondering about your connection with him, and um, you're fantastic, and I lo- I want I want to listen to you for the next twenty What's years. What's your connection to him? I lived on the North Shore, and I used to um, be buddies with him for a few years. Yes, he helped out with the Nardward Human Serviette radio show in the early days, and he's actually partly responsible for me joining CITR and doing this marathon right now and speaking to you and Chris Murphy, because when I came to UBC, he said, Hey, Nardward, it's time to get wasted at the beer garden before the UB40 Fine Young Cannibals gig. <laughs> How about that, Chris Murphy? Me caught at a Fine Young Cannibals gig. But that's okay, though, because they're ska, right? You know, there's yeah, well, ska. 
Anyway. Yes, so I was at that gig, and before the gig, we went to the CITR beer garden, and I filled out an application form. I didn't want to. They forced me to it, and I didn't feel like filling it out, not giving the money. I gave the money, and the rest is history. So John influenced me to be on CITR radio, and that's why I gave props out to him, because you can actually hear him for a couple seconds at the very first interview that I played on this anniversary special. And just in case you're wondering, caller, we began with DOA, then we went to Alice Cooper. This is at 9 9 p.m. last night. I listened at 9 p.m. Yeah, man, I was listening to you then. Then Iggy Pop, then Lydia Lynch, then Sonic Youth, then Henry Rollins, then Crispin Glover, then Harlan Ellison, then Tommy Lee, then Courtney Love, then Beck, then Tommy Chong, then Al Goldstein, then William Cooper, then Robert Anton Wilson, then Bill Lynn, then Bill Kilsing, then Avengers, then Elijah Wood, then Timothy Leary, then Pierre Burton, then Guar, then Enough's Enough, then Paul Gallagher, then Gerald Ford, Jen Mikhail Gorbachev, Dan Quill, Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin, Johnny Legend, Michael Moore, Michael Moore, the Grassy Kid, Snoop Doggy Dog, John Savage, author of England's Dreaming and Teenage Live from England, David. Rush! And now you, Caller, and Chris Murphy. So those are all the people that have been involved. And the very first interview actually had John Bardino, so that's my connection, and that's why I mentioned him, because he's sadly departed. Yeah, that's so uh, fantastic. That's going back a long way, John Bardino, for you, eh? It is, and he's the one who helped get me to CITR. So, well, thanks for calling in, Caller, and doot doot a loot do Doot doot. And you're still listening to CITR Radio. And back to you, Chris. You were just finishing off there about the actual connections, like the much music, the CITR connections, and how it all kind of works up to today, which I think is really interesting because that other caller was referring to my 11th anniversary show. You were on my 11th anniversary? Like if that caller went back, not this caller, but caller before went back and reviewed the tapes, you were on there, weren't you, Chris? I believe I was on the 11th. That's exactly true. Now, it was a special presentation that you provided the listeners with that day, didn't you? (laughs) Do you remember I, what you did? Yeah, what was it? Remind me. Sloan were playing a gig on the night of my 11th anniversary, and you played a Sonic song over your cell phone. Like when cell phones, oh, right. when cell phones were huge. To, and actually, I don't know whose cell phone was. You probably borrowed the cell phone, and then you got the audience saying happy birthday to me. And I'm talking like a 5,000-capacity club singing happy birthday to Nardware, and you guys doing a Sonics cover. Yeah, well, that's the kind of thing we do because we we love you. You're a a national treasure, and you deserve that kind of respect. But you know what's really wild about that, Chris Murphy of the Rock and Roll Band Sloan? Guess who was playing tonight for the first time since 1973? Uh Uh-oh, who? The Sonics! Come on! They're reuniting tonight and tomorrow night in New York is part of Cave Stomp. Isn't that weird? Tonight! Tonight! Wow. And we're also having an anniversary show for the Nardware to Human Serviette Radio Show at the Sub Ballroom at UBC. It's free. It's all ages. The Transmitter, The Pack, a couple other unnamed bands, and I'm hosting as well, and... Um, the trans- and Kid Cordine, and that's free to reward listeners for listening to an Arboretum Radio Show. But it's weird. Like, I'm having our gig here at UBC free in all ages, and the Sonics are reuniting tonight. That's crazy. Maybe they're doing it in your honor. Did you ever contact them? I did. I tried to ask them for an interview, but nothing happened. So thank you for coming through, Chris Murphy. However, what's really interesting is I just played some Rush, and before that, what did you think of that Rush tune that I played? What do you think about your intro tune, Chris Murphy? Yeah, it wasn't my favorite era of Rush. Uh, Big Money. I kind of like the tune. Have you heard I many? Know. Have you heard many? Do many rush? How does that go over at rush gigs? Like you've been to rush gigs. Have they yeah, played sure. that? Have they played that song at rush gigs still? Yeah, I think that. Uh, I think they probably still do that one. I think. I think uh, they, they have all these uh, video things that go with a lot of their songs, and I think I almost think that their set consists of the things that they have the best videos for. But anyway, yeah, I don't really like Big Money so much. The only one that I like 
probably worse than that is that Roll the Bones. I am a huge Rush fan, though, and and uh, and uh, I went to see uh, Rush oof, a long time ago, probably about 20 years ago, actually. You know what? I just, just as a sidebar, I've been playing music with Jay Ferguson since October 1987. It's our 20th anniversary this month, too. I knew that we were connected somehow. Like, I know we didn't meet till 91 or 92, but the 87 is an important date for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, 87. Well, it was like, I mean, you and I are very much of the same generation, but uh, I don't want to give you away as being old, but uh, for me, that was the year after high school, so. Baboom. Well, Chris Murphy, interesting also enough... Uh, enough. We played also Enough's Enough, the metal bands. You know, I, oh, I got, yeah, yeah, remember yeah. I got on that metal trip for a long time, didn't I? I, 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 I was. Well, like, you were upset. You were obsessed with Warren too, weren't you? Yes, we did a couple interviews with Warrant, Enough's Enough, Danger, Danger, Slick Talks. You, you almost, I, I was in town one time in Vancouver, and you were really trying to get me to go see Warrant, and I couldn't go, and, and I really regretted it, because I think you guys had a oh, get, up yes, on, yes. get up on stage with him. Yes. Right? You and, uh, yes, this what's was his it. name? I, Mark Kleins Kleiner. Yeah, who Kleiner. Found, who was on an Art Radio Soviet radio show as well. This was my big idea. Like, Sloan, you needed to get into Rolling Stone. You know, I was always concerned about getting Sloan signed to Lookout Records to be able to break it big in the States. Right, Chris? Yeah, you were always talking about, uh, yeah, Larry Livermore or whatever his name was. So this was my idea. <laughs> I bring Chris to the Warrant gig. It was Cherry Pie, the tribute band to Warrant. They were going to be joining Warrant up on stage, jamming on Cherry Pie. So right. you were going to play in Cherry Pie, and you were going to end up up on stage singing Cherry Pie with Warrant at Studebaker's. And you thought I would get, like, it would be in Faces and Plates thing? It would be in Random Notes in Rolling random Stones. Notes, yeah. Now, what was really interesting is what happened is that night you instead decided to go dirty dancing with Nico Case. Yeah, well, I still, I, I, I don't regret, it was fun. I, I, had, I had probably more fun than you did, but you came home with the story. You got up on stage with them. No to sing and you didn't know any of the words yeah, exactly however you actually had the last laugh a lot of times it may seem chris that i am trying to prove that i'm right but actually you proved that i was wrong because years later a picture from that night of you dirty dancing with nico case appeared in a book have not been the same the history the definitive history of That's canadian right. punk rock so that evening was preserved it wasn't all for waste so you win in the end there chris murphy no no i don't you win you, you've been on the air 20 years in a row but you got your way you got the dirty dance with nico case <laughs> and you got the photo and you got in the book and you got in the cover of the book which is weird like it's have not been the same named after a slow song and ham of slow has actually been participating in my band the Evaporators, which is kind of well, but here's like the band, they write the song, haven't been the same, and their picture isn't even on the cover of the book. It's, I know, what a, it, it's embarrassing for us. It's Sloan on the cover. No, but you guys, if anybody, did request slow videos more than anybody on TV, didn't you? When you had a chance. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, you did. We had a chance to host Indie Street, even though why were you on Indie Street when you were signed to DGC? But it was something to do with Murder <laughs> Records. It's all totally confusing. How well, We ran our own indie label. However, Chris Murphy... We fantasized about being on an indie label. Anyway, yeah, however... However, uh, Chris Murphy of the rock and roll band Sloan, what is interesting is regarding the Sonics reuniting tonight and how you played a Sonic song on my anniversary, on the 11th anniversary... Carl Newman, who of course is in a band with Nico Case, performed a Sonics song with John McEnroe on John McEnroe's TV show. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Wow. Because John McEnroe, remember for, do you remember the McEnroe TV show? 
Yeah, what, what season of the show did they perform it on? Well, there only was one, I think. <laughs> one month. Yeah. Like, you know, the, right. first, the first month. That's what I'm just joking. So it was season one? Yes, yeah, so it was record label. It got, I'll, I'll, I have the DVD of season one. I'll check it out. Yeah, and it is... It is A.C. Newman on the John McEnroe TV show, and at the end, John McEnroe likes to jam with the band. And he likes to, so he said, pick up a song. So Carl Newman picked the song The Witch by the Sonics. So it's John McEnroe and Carl Newman jamming to The Witch on wow. the John McEnroe TV show, which is really interesting because John McEnroe is tennis. And who else is into tennis but Getty Getty Lee? Getty Lee is totally into tennis. And no, he's not. Is, is he? Get this. Just he's before, into baseball. No, Getty Lee is into tennis. He's good friends with Vetus Gerolitis and Dave Bedini. No, he's not. Dave Bedini. Yes, he is. Dave Bedini just revealed this exclusive. Only minutes, well, probably for listeners, it seems like hours ago. In fact, if you did tune in, it was 9 p.m. last night to 5 p.m. today, only about like an hour and 15 minutes away for the 20-hour, 20-year Nardwari Human Serviette special. If people listened in, they would have heard this exclusive. Getty Lee, this is what Dave Bedini told me, Getty Lee of Rush playing tennis with Dr. Phil. <laughs> Let me offer that up to you, Chris Murphy. How about that? <laughs> wow. To which I said to Dave Bedini, baboom, that's pretty good. But Chris Murphy played with Daniel Lenoir and Snow. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. But that do you think that jamming or do you think that going with Dr. Phil in tennis is right up there playing with Snow and Daniel Lenoir? That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty it, – Getty Lee and, and Dr. Phil together is pretty fantastic. But it's, it's better when you – like it's – as soon as you have, like, a third element, it makes it even more comical. Like, Daniel Lenoir and me together is funny, but then when you add snow, it's even, it's even more funny. And then Getty Lee is funny, but then when you add Dr. Phil, <laughs> I mean, that's the gift that just keeps on giving. Hey, Getty, Lee, Getty Lee is awesome. He's the punkest person in Canada. Russia is the most punk band in Canada. If you want to fight me on it, we can go head-to-head right now. No! Getty is my god, and if you rewind the tape, you can hear me saying that to Getty Lee. So, um, yes, but, anyway. uh, just So, winding up here, Chris Murphy, the rock and roll band Stone, what is going on with you right now? What are you doing now? You're having a baby. Congratulations! Yeah, we had a baby. We had a baby September 12th, so we have like a seven-week-old baby. And he cries and poops and screams, and he's having fun. And we're making our uh, Sloan is uh, knee deep into our making our ninth record. And, and uh, what were and they, no, how was the reaction to never hear the end of this? I saw some reviews in the states; like it got released recently, or at least I saw some ads. Yeah, we got we got some. We, we were we came out on Yep Rock in the states, and um, and it'll come out. The next one will come out on Yep Rock, hopefully, and and. Uh, we had some pretty good, pretty good reviews, pretty good write-ups. You know, it's hard. Like I don't know. How, even with Rush, say, you know, I don't know how many people feel like they really need their their seventeenth Rush album. Like how many people need their ninth Sloan record? Like we're trying to make the records good so that people keep wanting to get them. But uh, you know, there comes a time when you're like when your band is like seventeen, eighteen years old that you know it, it's hard to get people to think you're making records that they want even though i think our records are as good now as they ever were but but you know we're 38 year old guys you know 
And then your last record, you put a few hardcore numbers on. What was the reaction to that, the hardcore punk? And that's going back to the roots of your first band, which was called what again? Uh, well, I had a couple of ba- I don't know what band you're talking about, but I did have a band called, I had a, a band called Whiteout, I had a band called Spent, I had a band called Aware. And I, it's like a couple of different hardcore bands I was in. That was but, what I was uh, thinking of. But the, uh, which one, Aware? Spent. Spent. Well, Aware is the, the worst worst uh, band name of all time. So embarrassing. But, um, you know, the hardcore stuff, it was just kind of, it wasn't that hardcore. It was just kind of fun nod to hardcore. But you I'd were... hate to pretend that we were hardcore. Yeah, we were, I was, we were all super into hardcore. Patrick and I especially were pretty into hardcore in the, in the 80s for sure. Did you play any of those live or you had any requests for the hardcore numbers off the record or any surprising requests for stuff off the new record that you didn't <laughs> think you'd get? I don't know. Well, we played. We always played that hardcore song. We played it once a show, just for fun. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I think that we we had. Uh, you know, we had. We, our record had thirty songs on it, and we were playing like twenty two new songs in the set. So I think some people were like, "What the hell is going on?" But we were. Uh, we're kind of like our record before was the greatest hits, and we played all our hits for. We always play lots of our old songs, and the greatest hits record was so boring to me. Like to put out a hits record and have to play all those songs so we uh we played we were heavy on the new record on the last tour and people might have been a bit sick of it but we needed to do that to keep our sanity leora cornfeld xcbc slash ubiquity interactive told me that she was watching et canada and she saw jason schwartzman give a shout out to sloan via rick campanelli yeah, like Jason was in town, and I had I had the new baby, so I couldn't go out. But he and Jay, he and Jay, um, they went out to eat. I think I went wait, I went out with them last time he was here, and they went out this time. I told them I couldn't go, and I think they went and jammed. I told them to call me if they went and jammed, but I think it was too late. But uh, yeah, they like he's a pretty musical guy. That's and what super, I w- like. I'm, I'm, we're big fans of his. That's what I was wondering, because I met John Lucas from Hinterland, a local band in Vancouver, also a writer for the Georgia Strait, and he said he sold a guitar to Jason Schwartzman, like a really weird old Yamaha, but isn't Jason Schwartzman a drummer? Yeah, but he can play guitar, too, and he's a pretty good keyboard player, too. Do you know my story of meeting Jason Schwartzman, or should I save that one? No, let's do it right now, before we wind, wind up here with Chris Murphy uh, Sloan. Jason Schwartzman is a Coppola, as you know, you probably know that, right? I keep forgetting. His mother is Talia Shire, who played Adrian in Rocky. Which is awesome because Rocky Four was filmed here in Vancouver. <laughs> and Rambo was filmed here, too. Gotta love that. Actually, it's the 20-year anniversary of, like, Rambo getting filmed or something like that, or First Blood or 25th, but something like that, some anniversary. Back to you, Chris. Yeah, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you there. Anyway, um... So, uh, so he's so uh, we were when we were touring with uh, Red Cross on what ended up being Red Cross's last tour. Um, uh, I know they're kind of doing some stuff now, but this is like 1997, and the drummer Brian Wrightsell, um, he was dating this woman who had like a clothing company with Sofia Coppola, and so he was friends with Jason Schwartzman, who was then about like 16 or 17, but his band Phantom Planet was already signed to Geffen, and so he, Jason was hanging around, he was like this little kid, and and, and he was talking, he was like, yeah, it's Jason, he's a nice boy, and it's like, yeah, we're on, my band's on Geffen, and I was like, go on, Geffen. and so I was like beating, I was like wrestling him and like beating him up because I was so mad that he was so young that he was on Geffen, 
and whatever. We're just being friendly with him. And then years, a couple of years later, I was at in, watching a movie in Washington D.C. and it was Rushmore, and it was Jason Schwartzman was the lead. And I was like, wait a minute, what the hell? And my mind, like my mind was blown because I, I didn't put it together right away. And then, um, uh, what's the next move? And then, and. Oh, and then we play, played with Phantom Planet and stuff like that. And uh, but anyway, it was—it's maybe not that interesting a story. But yeah, when I saw Rushmore, my my head blew off because it was the same little kid who was in that band. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm Nardwar, here. I'm here. Sorry. Hello, Nardwar. Go ahead Hello, again. Murphy. Is this Joe again? Yes, it is. I just had a quick question for Chris Murphy. The bands that opened up for him. Uh, there's a local band here in Vancouver that opened up for you guys. I think on a tour, the Yoko Onos. You uh, you still talk to them? Have they ever opened up for you again? Yeah, the Yoko Cassionos. There you go. Yeah, well, they're very good friends of mine. I just sent them a picture of a of, of my little boy Francisco uh, because they were they sent me an email congratulating me, and I just sent them a little uh, a little picture of him. Would they ever open up for you guys again? Well, sure. If they they should be uh, we should be opening for them. They're like a super super awesome band. But um, you know, we were lucky enough to. Uh, make a name for ourselves uh, a while ago before the internet made it so that everybody can make a name for themselves and now there's so much traffic I don't think anybody can get heard but um, yeah the Yoko Katsunos except for their name which I hate um, <laughs> I think that they're a fantastic band and I really hope that they can get something going and get people out to see them what? I think they do okay in Vancouver and did you know they're making a Rambo 6 <laughs> no I didn't Rambo 6 in hope I don't know if it's in hope but brought up the 20-year anniversary. They're making a uh, Rambo 6. Is Sly Wait a minute, wasn't Ran Rambo 4 was a new hope, wasn't it? <laughs> Baboom. Well, thanks so much, Joe, and doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Do, do. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, the 20th anniversary of the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show, and you've been going 20 hours straight since Thursday at 9 p.m. till today, 5 p.m. We're speaking here live to Chris Murphy. This is not pre-recorded. This is not like some old interview. This is live. I was also going to mention regarding people ending up in weird places, John Collins, who you thought was one of the callers, and that proves that it wasn't one of the callers. That was he, Joe. He, Right twice. Joe, he sounds a lot like John Collins. No, anyway. but what I was going to say about John Collins is John Collins had the same experience when he played with the band Trenchmouth from Chicago in Spokane, Washington, and he remembered the drummer being really funny, and then he was watching Saturday Night Live one night, and it turned out to be Fred Armiston. How about All that? Right. Same sort of experience. You had the Jason Schwartzman thing. He had the Fred Armisen. You know the guy in Saturday Night Live does all the I drums? I Fred Armisen, yeah. He's from Chicago, right? Yeah, and he used to play in the band Trenchmouth, the amazing band Trenchmouth, who toured with the band Lung from New Zealand, not related to the Lung from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. What's interesting, Chris Murphy of Sloan, is your name has popped up in a lot of my interviews. Like, I was listening to a Beck interview, and there's, like, Sloan gets thrown in there. Like, your name has popped up in a lot of my interviews, hasn't it? Uh, that, I think that's true, but I think it's you mentioning it all the time. And you'd say it to Beck or something, and he'd be like, I don't know who you're talking about. But to this one individual that we're going to cut to now, what interview do we have coming up here right now? Chris Murphy of the Rock and Roll Band Sloan on a Nardwarty Human Serviette retrospective 20 years, 20 hours, with new interviews sprinkled in. Oh, wow, yeah. I think this is a classic. I think you're going to, the one that, uh, am I requesting it or am I telling? 
I think you're telling, because you've actually washed it with your feet up on the table a few times. I have washed it a few times with you over even at my house, yes. Um, and in Victoria, yes. you watched it, remember? You worked the remote control of the VCR. <laughs> right, 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 of course. Um, yes, uh, this is going to be a classic. This is uh, Kurt, uh, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love uh, backstage at... Uh, Remind me. The Peony Forum in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, on January fourth, nineteen ninety four. Wow, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I know. That, yes, my name comes up in this interview, and um, for reasons that will reveal themselves. But um, you know, I have met. Uh, I, I did meet Courtney years and years ago, but I never really met Kurt. I saw him one time walking around uh, a show of ours in L.A., but I don't think he came to the show. But. Uh, um, yeah, he was... Uh, in the interview, yeah, I say, cool. do you know the band Sloan? Because it's mentioned in Come As You Are. Because you're mentioned in Come As You Are, the Michael Azerzad book, aren't you? Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. And then when I mention that to Kurt Cobain, he doesn't know, but then Courtney fills it in and says something about Jackie. What's the connection there when Kurt mentions Sloan and, or Courtney mentions Jackie and then says, oh, they're you know, cute boys and they're friends with Jail or something like that? What was the Jackie connection there that she's talking about? Um, that's right. Well, Jail, by the way, is J-A-L-E, which is a all-woman band from Halifax, um, and um, who had a song called Lung, by the way, just a little connection there. No way! But, sure they did. That's great! But, uh, but um, because drummer Allison McLeod had a collapsed lung, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, the band Lung. Anyway, but... Um, um, she, uh, Jackie Ferry was um, the original nanny, or one of the original nannies for Francis Bean Cobain, and um, and then we met her um, shortly after she had that job when we toured with the Lemonheads uh, in 1993. Uh, Jackie was their sort of uh, merchandise person and tour manager, and then later she was the tour manager for Stereo Lab and bands like that. Well, thank you very much for that clarification, Chris Murphy of the Rock and Roll Band Sloan. Really appreciate you phoning in the 11th anniversary of the Nardwari Human Survey at Radio Show, plus nine, 20. You were on the 11th, you were on the 20th, and you were on, I guess, the 5th anniversary. The first time I interviewed you was, I guess, the 5th anniversary of the Nardwari Human Survey at Radio Show. Although you said it was May 1992, but then David Dini was thinking that maybe my show actually started not in October, but maybe in the summer. So I'm totally confused. So maybe <laughs> none of this is actually true, and it's just an excuse to go 20 hours. Yes, you are listening to Kennedy Assassination Weekend on CIT. We did that before. We played 24 hours worth of Kennedy assassination tapes live on CITR. But anything else you want to add to the people out there at all about Kurt Cobain, about what's going on with Sloan, what's going on with you at all, Chris Murphy? I just want to say my, my favorite Randy Iwata quote uh, was um, I was asking Nardwar people out there, I was asking you um, uh, how many of your, of your uh, DVD you were going to have to sell to break even. And uh, you said, Randy Iwata of Mint Records said, the best way to break even is to not to do it in the first place. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Boom! Uh, thank you for having me, and it was I was happy to be uh, on your show again for so long, and I hope I'm on the 30th anniversary, too. Yeah, what should we do the next anniversary, 25 or 30? Like, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. What should I do? I'm going to try and make about four records between now and then. Uh, I don't know. What do a couple of guys like us do? We're like 30, 30 plus years old, 38 or so. Yeah, we'll be 38 at the next one, at the 30th. I don't know. I think uh, maybe it's like Menudo. We have to sort of retire at 40 or something. 
Well, let's hope that that doesn't happen because then we won't be able to share stories like Vetus Cherylitis and Dr. Phil versus Getty Lee and Jason Schwartzman on TV. Yeah, well, it's true. Thank you very much, Chris Murphy. Really appreciate the support. Keep on rocking in the free world. And here is an interview with Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love backstage at the PE Forum mentioning Sloan from January 4th, 1994. Possibly the last interview Kurt Cobain ever did in Canada. Probably the last interview he ever did in Canada. Maybe the last interview he did in North America. And maybe one of the last interviews he ever did. But definitely towards the bitter end. Here it is. And thanks so much, Chris. And do. Do the loot do 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 So Kurt, um, I wait outside. How was the Toronto show? How did that go? Because I was in Toronto at that time when you played at Maple Leaf Gardens. Don't say that I'm making any kind of ethnic stereotypes. I'm not making any stereotypes because they're not PC. Do you remember that show at all, Kurt? No. <laughs> Maple Leaf Gardens in November? Mm, that was um I remember that with the little backstage. It was it was a nice temperature because I think it was an ice hockey rink. Yeah, it was Maple Leaf Gardens, and um, I waited outside, you know, for a couple hours afterwards, uh-huh. waiting for you guys to leave. How did you eventually leave? My limousine um, cop escort. Did you leave pretty early? Because like they brought out you know the prop, the prop out, and then, you know you kept I kept on waiting and waiting, and then I saw a little minivan pull out, and I thought a guy hulked over the back seat. Was that you? Like did you wait like two hours? Did you get like did I wait there for nothing? Because already left? Bam, bam, bam. I just remember leaving pretty much right after the show, within about 20 minutes or so. I met one of the guys from the Kids in the Hall, Scott. That's right. Nice we person. were mingling with famous people. They never talk to hacks like you. Fuck no. And once They're you, of on course, TV every in. night on Comedy Central and on the Canadian TV and they know Sixties, Kurt. That was a big punk scene, as you realize, in Northwest. You know the the, the Sonics, the Whalers. The, I hate the Sonics. No, They're stupid. The, the Bootmen. Mm-hmm. The Whalers and all those other bands. And I was reading that um, your good friend Jesse Reed, his dad, played in a surf band that released a surf record. That's true. Isn't that weird that he? <laughs> What were they called? Where did you read it was that? called the Bagpiper. What was the name of their band? Where did you read that? Uh, come as you are. The Beachcombers. Come as you are. Yeah. What do you mean, come as you are? The book? Yeah. From Michael Azarad. Mm. He's obsessed with Jesse Reed. Because the Beachcombers, so it was a, cause were they pretty cool? I thought, like, I love those 60s wailing frat garage bands in Northwest. No, it didn't have much taste. Was it was pretty generic. He's born again now. the house? Yes, he did. He tried to revive me for a while. He also said in that book that your Uncle Chuck was in a garage band, too, and he released records, or did he release anything? No. Is that Mary? Really? She put out a single. She financed herself. She's a country and western born-again Christian. And my Uncle Chuck was in a couple of bar bands. You know, they just played covers like Green's Clearwater. He had a Lucite drum set. He was left-handed, and it wasn't very good. Is that Chuck with the red hair? Mm-hmm. Is that Chuck that's gay? No. Oh. Is it the one that we go to went to Christmas? That one, Chuck? The nice one. With the son that has your cousin who has the other band? Although he went to jail one time for um, exposing himself. Green from Bellevue. That's his cousin's band. Did you first meet Courtney? And this is Courtney Love. Did you? I've heard, because we're here in Canada, Vancouver, BC, Canada. I heard a rumor, I think I might have read it in Interview Magazine, that Kurt and Courtney first met at a... De- at a de- 
that's what I, Did you first meet at a DOA gig in Portland, Oregon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is, there is really a Canadian connection there. <laughs> Wasn't it noise? No. It was one of our shows. It was our show. It was my show. I played with DOA a couple times. I don't remember where. But, but was that was, so? A Canadian connection, a Canadian band, has something to do with Kurt and Courtney. Like, yes. I don't honestly. I don't remember which I don't show remember it was. Either. I was too drunk. Me too. Do you remember your first time in Canada at all, Kurt? No. I might have been a small child. I visited some gardens. We went across on a ferry. Vancouver. Bouchard Gardens. Right. Right. I was a small child. That's actually where No Means No are from. Mm. Sure. And the Neo is a legendary speed band. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for Neos, yeah, that's what I say. You have a Canadian nanny, another Canadian connection. We like uh, the BC. We don't like the rest of it so much. What is her name? Uh, what is your nanny's name? His name's uh, Mike. And his does he have a girlfriend? Jessica. Yeah. I think she might even been. She might be from Vancouver too, right? She's from Minneapolis. She has that fancy, you know, that fancy that's called hit it or quit it. She's like a riot girl person. She's like 15. Now, Chris here. Chris, come over here for a moment. This is Chris of the rock and roll band Nirvana. Now, Chris, you worked earlier in all in your life in Taco Bell. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you realize there are no Taco Bells in Canada? Good for you. Actually, at least in B.C.? There's no Mexicans in Canada. Actually, there's one in Alberta. There's some in Alberta. That's right. So do you think that's contributed all to the growth of bands in BC that we do not have a Taco Bell? Is this a good or a bad thing? I don't know, man. Canada can be ethnically diverse, which is beautiful. Part of the thing and stuff, but judging... Uh, Actually, you look like a Dukabor when you put that thing on. Dukabors are awesome, man. They're awesome. Did They're you, anarchists. Did you go, are there still Dukabors around? Yeah, there are. Yeah, I, I'm really into the duo boars. They used to run around naked, and, and uh, they were from Russia, right? Yeah. And they had their anarchist colony. And was, How did they go under? I forgot. I think there was some rise and stuff. They're still going strong. And they're, they were, they're, I'm the next duo boar messiah. So you can tell by the way I spit food out and the way it's caught in my mouth. And they're from Canada, too. Another Canadian connection on um, page 26 of Come As You Are, uh, Michael Azizard quotes Canadian rocker Sloan. I don't know who they are. Jackie, Jackie's boyfriend, Jackie Ferry, remember? If I was your dad, I'd whip your ass. <laughs> remember the guy Jackie was the Sloan band? They're on our label. They're called the Sloan band. They're from um, Halifax. And they're quoted in your book. Are there any mistakes in the Come As You Are book? I don't know. Because I noticed on page 226, in reference to the Deep Six comp, except for the art rock you men all mix varying amounts of punk, 70s-style hard rock, and proletarian heavy metal into a crude but effective musical mongrel. The you men art rock? I would say so, yeah. I thought they were cool punk rock, sort of cool 60s sort of art garage sonic-y. Punk, all art punk, birthday party, scratch ass. It was art rock. Did you ever see them live? No, I didn't. I did buy the Step, a, step on a Bug, no, the Dig It Baby, Dig It Baby, Dig It a whole single. The fact. That was years after they had been a band and been playing around in Seattle for a really long time. I would, I would classify them as art rock. Classic art rock. I knew they were cool, actually, when I saw Tom Price, a picture of him when he played at the Commodore, when he backed up the cramps, he had tape over one of his guitar knobs. I thought they were cool when I saw one of them walking down an alley and I thought he was cute. And also... The Mustang. 
was one of the first people I've ever saw. They were wearing trench coats. There were two of them. Oh. Me and Kat were like, we should move here. That guy's cute. They were cute. Yeah, they were like cute guys and kind of cool. That's good for a scene. I think you're desperately trying to start a scene. Is that the deal? No, I just want a scene so bad you're going to make one. You're just going to close your eyes till you get one. Is that it? On page 190? There's an inferiority complex about this scene here. I don't think you should. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just saying, on page 190, on page 190, the Teen Spirit in Bracket video shot for a modest $33,000. I don't know. That's what it says in the book. Just trying to find errors here with Kurt and Courtney. I haven't read the book. I, I've skimmed through it a few times, but I've never read it from front to back. And on page 154, the last analyzation, thank you, Kurt and Courtney, on page 154, the book says, the heavy Bonham-esque drumming that Nirvana requires... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you know the drummer for Pansy Division is from Aberdeen, Kurt? No, I didn't know that. You know, it smells like Queen Spirit? Yeah, I had no idea. Do have any other bands come from Aberdeen? The Melvins and Metal Church. Uh, what are the thrift shops there like? Um, they're not that great. People didn't have very good taste in the 60s and 70s. You know, usually that's the kind of stuff that I look for. No lava lamps, no cool patterned shirts or anything. Do you ever see any Farfisa mini compact organs? You know, like that quivering vibrato. I'm really desperate looking for one of those. I don't know. Maybe not in Aberdeen. Isn't there also surfing in Aberdeen, like at Westport? Hmm. I don't know. I've never gone in the ocean. Because apparently it has some rats. I don't anyone to go into the ocean Did you there. Didn't you dig for clams? I took for clams a few times, yes. That's going in the ocean. It's the same thing. I know you're going to like this, Courtney, but I also read in Mix Magazine. Sorry, Mix Magazine. Oh, wow, you get around. He reads more magazines than me. Well, not really. We get a free subscription at CITR Radio, and this is for CITR Radio. I most of the magazines I read. Actually, five ninety-five Mix Magazine, and it said, Butch Vig was talking about the Nirvana, never mind album, and he said he sampled some guitar riffs. Is this true? I couldn't believe it. Sampled guitar yeah, riffs? Like, what is that? Andy Wallace does that. He has, like, a little Macintosh, and... He's got a couple like snare sounds and, and guitar sounds. Sampling guitar riffs, I don't think. No, so. not riff sounds. He, I think Andy Wallace sa sampled a few different sounds for the drums to make them sound better, according to him. What's the idea between putting a lot behind, you know, putting a lot of mics on a drum? I know you say you don't really like the sonics totally, but I really love that sort of like one guitar. I, I, I have to admit, yeah, the sonics recorded very, very cheaply on a two-track, you know, and they just used one, one microphones over the drums, and they got the most amazing drum sound I've ever heard. Still to this day, it's still my favorite drum sound. It sounds like he's hitting harder than anyone I've ever known. And I have some good news. Don't you agree? It's amazing. I have some good news for you, Kurt. Do you know that where the Sonics recorded, audio recording in Seattle with Kearney Barton is still around and you can actually still record there? Really? The young, fresh, the young fresh Fellows, pioneers in that sound by, you know, going at Egg Studio and stuff, they recorded a new track off their CD, their 99 Girls, right at that studio. Kearney Barton Audio, you can check it out. Like the same guy is there that recorded the Sonics. Who was born in 1842? No, he wasn't born in 1842, but I think that band Teen Jenner from Japan did that. And in Japan, they don't seem to have too much vinyl, do they? Aren't they into vinyl in Japan? They're into anything classic American, aren't they? I don't know. I don't go there often. Um, Kurt, what is Geffen's position on, on vinyl? Like, is it easy to release seven inches? Can you release them domestically? Not usually domestically. Only in Europe and England especially. We always... They've always 
always offered to print vinyl for us because they know we're, we like that kind of thing, so it's been no problem. I don't think it ever will be, as long as there's at least one place somewhere that'll print vinyl, they'll still do it. Readers sold 150 copies of their vinyl in the States. 150 copies. Isn't that weird? How much did Spencer Eldon receive from the Nirvana camp? A lot. A lot. lot. You know why? And Spencer Eldon is who? For the guy from Nirvana, right? The little baby on the cover. Oh, Spencer! Yeah. Oh, that's the guy we're going to have at dinner when he grows up. This thing. Well, I think with the Nirvana, the guys from Nirvana. I don't know. It was a lot cheaper than the picture that we wanted to use. What's PA equipment like in South America? Tonight I noticed you had quite an extensive PA. It sounded, I thought, really good. What's PA? What are, what, what are, what is the PA like in South America? What are they like? What are the tech crews there like? Evie. Univox. Has your te- did, was, does your tech crew has it improved your sound? You think like in South America, were they freaking out? What was it like there? I don't remember. Because I once heard Jacques Coke with Alice in Chains all night. I don't remember. Did you really custom design a guitar, your own special little model? Yeah. How many models were there, and can I buy one? I don't know. I don't know if it's gone into production yet. I don't know if it'll be available for the public. It's up to them to decide. But I basically just, I, well, so what I did is I took a picture of a Mustang, a Polaroid picture of a Mustang and a picture of a Jaguar, and then cut them in half and glued them together and told them to build that. So that's what it is. It's the Jag Stang. What other bands, Kurt, have played in Argentina? Like, you played there. What was it like? And were you one of the first bands to play there, do you know? I don't think so. I've heard that Skid Row played there. Have any other melodic punk bands played there? I do not know. We played at the Chili Peppers that night. Ever heard of the Canadian band Saga before? Yeah, I think so. Are they a pop metal band? played in Argentina. Kurt, what do you think of the last Flipper LP? Eh. Okay. What were Bjorn again like from Europe? Wonderful. Uncanny. Amazing. They looked exactly and sounded exactly like ABBA. Are they better than Rain, a tribute to the Beatles? I've never seen them. They had a big cinder spread in a rocket. Mm. Get screaming Jay Hawkins to try to back you up again? We tried, but it fell through. I would like to try again. Anybody else cool that you can think you can bring up, bring with you and back you up? Like, I was thinking the suite maybe and get Kurt Block, the guest on guitar. That wouldn't be too hard, would it? No, or will village people be no problem? Anybody else you've been thinking of? Well, those are two that just ran through my mind. Um, no, not really. Buscocks. Buscocks. We've had some amazing bands play with us on this tour. We had um, The Boredoms, The Meat Puppets, and gee, who else? Jawbreaker. But no Bonham or Quiet Riot or anything? Not yet. Went at the Riviera Steakhouse in a couple of years. Courtney said that Geffen, Kurt, made $55 million off you, and you guys... I'm o- quoting the Wall Street Journal. And you guys only got a million. Where did the money go? To Geffen. It's always been. I explained that to you. It's like a white guy giving a black guy a Cadillac. I walked into David's room one day and I said, listen, man, I feel like I'm getting ripped off. And he said, look outside. There's a Cadillac for you. And I took it. And then I just, you know, just forgot all about trying to get my royalties from him. And it turns out the fucking Cadillac was rented. Can you believe it? 
Um, if Nirvana has total control, Kurt, I was wondering slightly about ticket prices for gigs. Is there any way to make tickets and t-shirts universally the same, i.e. $10 to get into the gig and $10 for a t-shirt? No. Unless you're for Gauzy. Has any band ever tried that before? I mean, on a major label, you know, because you have perhaps more control over what's going on, you could maybe, because you guys are playing a cool place site, like a small, on a big coliseum. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Really. It's really expensive to bring your own PA system and lights and stuff. You barely break even. Do you know what you and Axel have something in common, Kurt? Yeah, a lot. You both sing in uh, fake English accents as he does in the spaghetti incident on the new UK subs track. Did you check it out? No, I haven't. That's sort of kicked ass. That's Guns N' Roses recording of the UK subs. Because you've mentioned in your book that you actually record, or the book about you come as you are, you sound with fake English accents. Mm-hmm. What can I say? I'm a death rocker. Have you ever thought of partying with Bill Gates at all, finally winding up here, Kurt? Bill Gates from Microsoft, partying with Bill Gates. Because, you know, who are the two newest members of the Seattle scene, Kurt? Here's a trick question for you. Bill Gates. Microsoft and Nintendo. And finally, Kurt. It is. It's based out of Seattle. And finally, Kurt Cobain of the rock and roll band Nirvana. If Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle, who will have their revenge on Vancouver? Pete Reno. Who? I don't know. Eddie Munster. Eddie Munster. He's from Vancouver, right? Uh, Kurt? Pete Reno, I said it. Who's Pete Reno? You know. Oh, Lover Boy, right! Oh, Mike Reno. That's Mike, Mike, Mike Renowski, actually. Oh, Reno's this half-retarded person that went to my high school. Sorry. And going to be on Exploitation Records? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt? Doot-doodle-loot-doo. <laughs> Kurt? Doot-doodle-loot-doo. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, 1987 to 2007, 20-year, 20-hour interview marathon. You just heard Kurt Cobain from January 4th, 1994, P&E with Courtney Love, Chris Novoselic, Dave Grohl, Pat Smear in the background, as long as Bobcat Goldthwait. Here is an interview I did with James Brown from October 20th. 1999. How you feel? I'm feeling great, Mr. Brown. Well, I know that Mr. Brown is real great, but I think you might have better call me James Brown with these kids, you know? <laughs> you want to hear me what my name is? <laughs> they told me to address you Mr. Brown. Well, that's uh, in, in business transactions, but this is, uh, I'm an artist person, so just call me James. Don't worry about it. Sitting by the organ. Yes, that's right. I, I, I was going to call a bit of sweets up. And we were going to rehearse something that, um, would you cut one minute? Cynthia, Amy, Martha, Keller, and Candace. And my name is Willie.
Would you like to introduce who you had singing with you? We'll do it again. Martha. Hello. This is Kelly. This is Candace. This is Amy. And this is Cynthia. This is Bittersweet. And uh, they'll be doing a fantastic job tonight. They travel all over the world with me. I'm traveling with them, really, because four, <laughs> four against five against one, that's all. But we travel all over the world together, and we're going to have a dynamite show here tonight, and one that you really should catch. And you're back in Vancouver. Did you remember at all when you've been to Vancouver before? Because you've played here a few times over the years. I played a few. I remember the cave. Uh, but I, I, there's another place I played. How about the uh, Commodore? Is that, was that the cave? Elegant Parlor. I don't remember that. Because there's this band. Do you remember these guys, Bobby Taylor and the Vancouvers? Do you remember them? I don't remember them. Bobby Taylor and Tommy Chong, they were in this band. And Tommy Ch Bobby Taylor was the guy who supposedly discovered Michael Jackson. Really? Yeah. That's new. I discovered it. What happened? Um, did you? What happened? Like Bobby Taylor, Vancouver's. Like it's in, you started that group. It was the first Canadian group, or the first non-black group to be signed to Motown. That's pretty wild. Yeah, we had a number one record. Yeah, we we. Oh, there's a lot of history there. We discovered the Jackson Five. They were the opening for us one place and uh, that was bobby taylor who discovered or you you helped well we were there we were all there at the same time we we're, were playing a chitlin gig you know chitlin circuit all the black clubs and uh, we played um the regal theater in chicago and the jackson five were opening for us and so we took him to the De uh, detroit and had, had him signed on with motown you discovered Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that, but I mean, you know, uh, Jesse, I don't want speaking. Michael Jackson was discovered by a man named Purvis Band and myself. We had television shows out of Gary, Indiana. But, uh, you know, I don't want to shoot this kid down because he could have been, he could have met him later in life. And, you know, was I, that the TV show you were beating Carson? No, I'm not going to brag about it, but we did, we had a show called Future Shock in Atlanta with Ted Turner when he first started. Uh, was the Superstation, TBS, and um, we beat Carson 27 to 10. And they wanted me to do national television, but I didn't want to do television because I want to be out there with these pretty young ladies. And they I can't have them on television every day. Do you recall Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's at all? Uh, no, that also came later. Now, that's another situation of a, 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 a goodwill gone bad. Bobby Cooper, to this day, should be in the Hall of Fame for discovering Michael and all them other Jacksons because he went out of his way to help them kids and they daddy and they mama. And he don't get a bone of grits for it. And he's, that, a, and he's a Canadian from Vancouver, B.C. Well, I think that sucks. Now, that came right out of my mouth. I think Bobby should have gotten as much credit 
Freddie as uh, Michael Jackson's daddy did. Yeah, that's what because I mean. Because if it don't be for Bobby, uh, and they can say Diana Ross or whatever they want to say, but Bobby was Bobby was the track that took that whole family and Michael uh, to the orbit. Because that's what I was going to ask you about Andre Williams. I was curious because there's always been that legend. Did Bobby Taylor of Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's discover Michael Jackson? And you would agree with that then. He did indeed. Well, I would say it depends on what level you want to call discovery. Now, Purvis Band in Chicago, Illinois, is a the blues man, a disc jockey who used to give big shows at the Regal Theater, discovered the Jackson Five. But he was limited. He could only take them to the chitlin circuit. But the Vancouver boy took him to the second, third level. You understand? So however you discover, like one person discovered the cure to cancer, and then another person discovered the vaccine. You see what I'm talking about? I do indeed, Andre Williams. Okay, so I would say that that Vancouver was just as important in the discovery of Michael, and let's say it again, Michael. Jackson. Yes. And the Jackson Five, as anybody on this planet. Are you writing any new stuff? Is there a new album coming out? We got a new one out now called "I'm Back," and it's uh, we're doing a couple of cuts from it. One's entitled "Funk on a Roll," which is up tempo, heavy like Sex Machine, really dynamite. It's a new groove. It's a new groove, and it's really you have to hear it, and it, it blows you away because it's a whole new bag. We call it a new. Uh, monster on the planet. It's, uh, it's really dynamite. And then I do a ballad, Every Beat of My Heart on organ. We don't get a chance to do a lot of it. But there's one tune in the album personally that I'd like to, well, two extra. One that's very close to me is it's called uh, Peace in the World. And that's probably one of the main problems around the world today. So much uh, violence and killing. And we're trying to address that. And hopefully it would seek through to the young people, let them know that life is about more than killing, it's about living. And then also we got a song that everybody knows. Papa's got a brand new bag. It's like the, the soul national anthem because it started the music from two and four to one and three. And the minute we made Papa's bag, I'm still Mozart, shoot with Beethoven and Strauss. Kind of turned over a little bit and said, you know, what do you got there? <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a song that everybody knows. It's a lot of fun. And myself and the Bittersweet, we do a fantastic job with, along with the soul generals of the band. And it has... So many arrangements, so we got this arrangement this time on this album. It's really dynamite, and who knows? We, we, we're thinking about bringing it out because so many people are requesting this particular song. Well, the show's sold out tonight, Mr. Brown, or well, James Brown. Well, I, <laughs> well, I thank God it is, and we'll do our best, and we'll let the people know that they didn't uh, just come in vain. And the next time I come back, I hope this place will be too small for me. I, I either have to play in five days, or I've got to play the stadium. I hope Brian Martin hear that. Oh, you don't want to play the stadium. The uh, the audio is lousy. I don't care about audio. I'm, we we video anyway. I'm, we, we visible anyway. So if they see us, it's good enough. They can imagine what we're saying. We want them to see us do it because not a there's not enough people can see it in here. I'm sure of that. And we thank God for this because this is one of the finest venues around. 
but we'd have to play him for about five or six days. Mr. Martin, do you hear that? Yes, sir. I'm trying to, hear, trying to fix it for you. The JBs have a new album out, I noticed, in Mojo Magazine. Have you ever thought of getting back together with them at all? Well, there is no JBs. There's a lot of people that said they are. There was a reunion LP. Well, I'm sure the reunion would do good with all the fellows that were involved many, many years ago. And we'd like probably to play some gigs with them sometime for fun, you know. But the Soul Generals we have now is, is a new, young, dyna, dyna, dynamic band that's... Um, that's it's unbeatable, but also Mason and Fred are still unbeatable, too. And the uh, JBs aren't anything without JB. You were a JB. You well, are the JB. Well, we won't say they're not anything because they're very good players, and, and I hope that they make it. Um, uh, because there's plenty of room for everybody. I'd like to see the famous Flames with them, and I'd like to see the whole troop come back. You know, uh, it's not that we don't want to see them make it because we there's a lot of room for soul music, and... We can only feel so many places that we play here and play another place. Somebody else needs to be coming later. You're standing by an organ right now. You, you made a couple instrumental albums, like Grits and Soul. Uh -oh. What was the deal behind that? Well, uh, it was something I was trying to expand, let people know musically we had something to say, as well as, uh, 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 as audio. Was it due to contractual obligations, like they weren't letting you sing? Well, one time that, that I did that uh, because... Um, I was with King Ruckus and, and Smash, which is which later became Polygram. Um, we had to uh, do both of them because both people wanted us, so we gave one instrumental and one single, but then I came back later, I mean, singing, and then we came back later with, um, with a couple more albums, and I got jazz albums out too on King Ruckus as well. We have a jazz album we think will be coming out pretty soon. If, if my guess is right with Mr. Stu Rick, I think he's gone now. <laughs> He runs away when you got obligation. You also play drums, don't you? Did you play the drums on Night Train? I heard like the drummer went to the washroom and James Brown or Mr. Brown filled in. <laughs> You're funny, cat. <laughs> that, but that's true. That's true. Cat had to go to the bathroom. We had to cut the run song. He had, <laughs> I started going a little deeper. <laughs> he had number one in mind, and we had the whole thing in mind, right? <laughs> we did a good, we, it was real good. And then I played the drums on a song called Hold It as well. That was an old Bill Doggett song. Um, but I tell you, tonight you'll be seeing a lot of things, because we've been doing a lot of songs that um, I had a chance to cut. One of them is Honky Tonk. We uh, recorded after Bill Doggett with one of the biggest instruments around. And uh, we, all, we also will be doing it tonight, and we will call it as well. What was and the Bittersweets will be doing their rendition of a song called This Is My Story. Mr. Brown, what exactly was the story behind that album? You were saying there's a big story behind this little 45 cover. Because this is, it, what, ladies, you're not know. on the cover, it's not your name. There's I'm no. I'm going to let the ladies know. When I first made this song, Please, 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 and it became such a dynamite hit, they didn't put uh, black men on the covers too much. And that's, that, that hits everybody gets still. That's what was happening. Black men were not on the covers. And this album, I was not on the cover of this album, and I was not on the cover of uh, Try Me. A girl was on that. And I was not on the cover of Think. They had a baby on there. But then later on, they find out what they were missing, this beautiful face. I got to decide they want to put it on there. But actually, things got better, and people got to understand, so they went and recovered all of them. And you're able to buy, like, radio stations. Do you still own radio stations and gas stations and all that stuff, Mr. Brown? Not gas stations. I wish I did own a gas station let the radio station go because gas sell faster. <laughs> Since the Internet came by, radio stations suffers tremendously. I'm sure you know that. But um, we have uh, two stations and an interest in the third one in Atlanta. 
and um, hopefully we would get a chance to get them. What happened with my station, I tried to rephrase what was going on in the earlier years, and everybody has copied my format now. Did you also have restaurants who like those, the Golden Skillet? Well, no. Well, at least you close Gold Platter. How do you, know, you, you learn the word skillet? Where you learn that from? <laughs> I don't know. Just hang out in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Mr. Brown. Well, that, that's, going, that's a long way from... <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, we had a Gold Platter, and they did pretty well, but um, I couldn't stay there and eat all the time. I wanted to get on the road, so we gave that away. Gave it up, and, and we made a lot of money on it, though. How about any of the King artists, like Brown? Did you ever party with James Brown? Well, James, it's, it's weird. James, you, uh, the Dirt Band used to come to the parlor and sit in with us. It was really band of JBs? James Brown's, you know, that great R&B band, the drummer. Or, uh, Bobby Bird or whatever. No, no. Yeah. Let's see. Some famous, famous guy. Oh, Fred Wesley? Maceo Parker? Maceo. No, Maceo played sax, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Trombone yeah. or trumpet. Yeah. Well, they used to sit in. One night, we, we uh, this other promoter had a club upstairs. He was trying to go psychedelic, and this is at the height of the, the Motown era. And he booked all these groups that le later went on to become mega superstars, like uh, Janis Joplin and uh, the Rolling Stones. And he had this club upstairs, and he, and he couldn't make any money with it. It's called the Retinal Circus. And he used to book, and my, my club was right below that, in the basement. And our club would be packed, and theirs, his would be empty with the stones, with the rolling stones. They never drew anybody. It was amazing. So this uh, one night, uh, all the James Brown's band was playing on stage, and we're up there jamming. And I look in the back, and I could see Mick Jagger and Keith Richards trying to get in the club, and they couldn't get in because it was too crowded. Because James Brown, what do you think his drug of preference is? Because he was known to do angel dust. <laughs> well, James went through a bisexual period that was real funny. Remember that song, Please, Please, Please? Well, James had a gay lover at the time. And he'd be on his knees. If you look at some film, you see him on his knees, and this guy would run out and throw a, a fur coat over him and pick him up and carry him off the stage. Remember that? And then James would break loose and come running back and please, please, and he'd sing some more. And then this, this guy, would, well, the guy that would run home and grab him, that was his, James's lover. So James was very heavy bisexual for the longest time. And then he changed, you know, I don't know what happened, but. He ended up opening, he was trying to open a bunch of burger restaurants in the ghettos. Did you hear about that? What was that about? Uh, James, man, he was, he's, you know, he's from the South. You know, and he was like a down-home brother, you know. Not too many smarts, like the rest of them, you know, like the rest of us. Anybody in rock and roll, you know, we just knew one thing, you know, music. And James is one of them. He was a cool guy, though. I met him. Have you seen him since, or did any of the old rock and rollers phone you up at all coming through town? They got short memories, a lot of them, man. They don't remember. Well, they're old fuckers, too, you know. I know, uh, like Joe Jackson, J uh, Michael Jackson's brother, uh, father doesn't remember me. I met him one time. He Maybe he doesn't want to remember you. Selective memory. Uh, he's fucking stupid, man. He doesn't remember me. <laughs> he does not. I look him in the eye. He doesn't remember me. It's weird, man. I think he, I don't know, whatever. You know, Jermaine and all the rest, they do, you know, because they were like halfway, they had a half a brain, you know.
Now, Mr. Brown, I know when I got um, the gentleman to get you to sign this, you were very excited was, about this. I'm looking for the, for the, for the business. This is the Tammy show, I'm right? to see what I had to fight through. What was this? Explain to people that may not be aware of this, Mr. Brown. The Tammy show. That was a show there with electronic vision. Uh, most people didn't understand that. I don't understand the, the schematics. I explain it, but electronic vision was a, a way to shoot movies with TV cameras instead of the cameras. Cameras take too long. Mm -hmm. And TV cameras, you can shoot it. If you get it rolling, you can keep on shooting it. So uh, we was on electronic vision. Uh, oh, I forgot the fellow name. But they also did Hollow before that, you know? Uh, Gene Hollow was the, what was, what was the name of that picture, Gene Hollow? Too, too long for you, huh? Okay. Anyway, Gene Hollow made a move in there. You really quiz your, your people, Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones. Mr. Oh, Mr. James. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Mr. Jones is being James. James. Mr. James Brown. <laughs> no, I, I have a lot of fun with him because, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to see younger people. And you try to make them remember things like that. When you think of James Brown on a show with the Beach Boys, Chuck Berry, James, Beach Boys, Chuck Berry, the Barbarians, Marvin Gaye. The Barbarians remember them. The drummer only had one arm. I remember very well. They were fantastic people. I don't know how you remember them, though. They're on TV quite a bit. They do play it, actually. They rerun this on Much Music quite a bit, the Tammy Show. I was curious, the reaction you got from the Tammy Show, which is absolutely outstanding, you completely blew the Rolling Stones away, Mr. Brown. And, and, and it's like, what was the reaction you got there typical to the reaction that you would get around the world or playing? Well, that was the first time they'd ever seen somebody move that way. And uh, Dick Clark talks about it all the time. My very good friend. Uh, and I went on American Bandstand. They had to be careful because... My moves was classified a little deeper than regular moves, you know? And thank God for Elvis Presley came along with the tight pants and gave me a chance to put mine back on. <laughs> I'd actually like to give this to you, Mr. Brown. Ah, thank you. I, so I, I, I said your name wrong totally. I, I mean, it's the least I could do. I want to Xerox this and give it to the, to the Bitter Sweets as well because, you see, the people we had to come through, see, right. they were just beginners, you know? You know and it was really heavy. But it went alphabetical order because uh, they didn't want anybody to get angry. Now, we were... We introduced rhythm and blues to the world uh, with this show, and uh, they'd never seen anything like that. And it just blew them away. It was standing in amazement. And I, we, we did our show. I went in the back and sat down and started talking with the fellow, laughing and joking. I had to come back and close the show. They made me come back again and close it. And I was back to have a lot of fun with the fellows. You were totally sweating away there. Totally sweating away. What do you think of sweat, Mr. Brown? <laughs> <laughs> I think sweat is something that is very, it's a very emotional thing, regardless of where you put it at. Now, you might put different places. Because in one of your books, I've read somewhere. Sweat express, well, express, <laughs> sweat expresses uh, emotion either way, whether it's hard work or... Um, Saying I, sure I, can get, I wish I can get out of here, I'm tired. You know? <laughs> Isn't there a story about you driving around in a black, a black Cadillac with beautiful suits with the windows up, you know, to look cool, and you were totally sweating away there in the South? I don't remember that, man, but I tell you, if I was too deep, if I was too deep in the South with a Cadillac, I was sweating about that. <laughs> in those days, I'm going to tell you that right now, and I tell them that, too. <laughs> that was, uh, I was probably after Dr. King uh, had to, had his, um, his uh, a way of letting the people know that, uh, that uh, life is for all people. Just like the blood bank. When you go to the blood bank, you don't want the type of blood. And um, it was earlier times, humble times, that we can talk about it now. 
and we can laugh about it because we got other places to go. I'm just glad these young ladies didn't have to face that craziness, you know. Have they seen Ski Party, the movie Ski Party? Have you seen yes. Ski Party? Yes, I have. That is an amazing movie. Yeah. Well, Ski Party was my first debut and really trying to act. And uh, I can remember the lines. Uh, I said, we walked in, and they walked up and, and asked me a few questions. And I, I brought in Robert B. Q. Robert Q. Lewis was this... Um, He's, he's all wrapped up in snow. He's been frozen. I said, we'll find him out there. You better put him by the fire. The abominable snowman. I think abominable was the hardest word I had to get across. I don't want to talk on that because we got to sing, and talking is a lot harder than singing. Right. I'll see you after the show. Can I ask you two quick questions here, yeah. Mr. Brown, winding up here? I was wondering, do you remember at all this gentleman here, Andre Williams? Do you remember Andre Williams at all? He had a song called Bacon Fat. Yes. Yes, I do. I remember that. I remember the dance. You remember the dance? Uh, no. He's almost like the sand. I like uh, me doing... He's holding the song Jailbait, too. I don't know about that. It's like, and he was in a bank called the $5 as well. That was Andre Williams. Are, are they bringing him back? He is back, and guess what they've brought him back as, Mr. Brown. Check it out. This is Andre Williams back in the 1990s. You got a lot of sense in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going. We're going. Okay. Well, thanks so right. much, Mr. Brown. Right. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do do the loot do well, thank you very, very much. I'm not going to say wah ba 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 boom either. Yeah, I can't believe that movie. They got this new rock and roll picture. Johnny Cat don't even know the song. He said, wah ba 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 boom 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 Pretty close. Doot, doo 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 All right. Will y'all be that good tonight? And right about now.